Don't fake it, just bust a move. This joint is gonna get you in the mood. Yes! This is uh, this is gonna be a, a good show right now. It's the Koi Pond, you guys. I'm back! Yeah, man. I love being in the studio, especially when this, uh, when this, uh, when this type of a guest comes in. You know why? Because he's one of those guys that uh, inspired me to do what I do now. Oh, God bless you. No, you don't understand. I talk about this before, even before you were on the show, and I and I don't like it when I'm giving you a compliment, Rob, and you go right to your phone and start texting. No, no, I just, I just, I was just turning it off. <laughs> Rob that? Schneider is in the building, you guys. He's in the koi pond right now. And I love I that so you have your own thing, the koi pond. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like, um, you know, like uh, a you know professional baseball team or something, or the, uh, what do they call that? That a would professional be like baseball team. Oh. A professional like football team when they have like their space, you know, and they yeah. say like, "Don't you come to our whatever?" You yeah, know, yeah. Fill in the blank. Oh, I got what you're saying. Yeah, like don't go to. Uh... We can't. And I got. I can't even think of anything. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I know what you're talking I about. I got no sports. Uh, I got no sports game. None I mean, at all. Not really. When I watch bench warmers, I swear to God, I was like, okay, Rob played baseball for sure. Yeah, and then people who really play baseball go, "Why didn't they just walk him every time?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's just it. You know, it's like, okay, that just totally ruins our whole movie. But it was so fun because, you know, when you get to play like in a movie that you get the basically they, if you're playing a police officer, you can actually go and like study with like a sheriff's department. They're just happy to, to any to avoid it. You know, it's just anything that breaks the tedium. Yeah. So they, they teach you. They'll take you out to the gun range and, you know, they have these really cool video things that you can do that um, – where you got to figure out who you can shoot and who you yeah. can not shoot, you know. They probably need a little more training, to be honest, <laughs> that these days. But um, And for baseball, the baseball movie was cool because I got to, like, literally learn how to hit, which no one ever took the time when yeah. I was a boy, you know. Uh-huh. My dad said, you're never going to. Don't waste your time with that. You're never going to play baseball. You look like you could play. No, but I, I learned because I had a guy, and I was really, you know, the key to it was doing yoga, was being limber so you don't hurt yourself. Yeah. Apparently, if you're really limber, you can do anything. Yeah. If you could do a handstand, then you could probably throw a baseball. I was just really, really limber. And then I just, you know, kind of uh, had guys showing me what to do. And it was fun to really swing. And then the next thing I know is that I stopped practicing for like a month. And then they invited me to spring training with the Giants. And I was there with Willie Mays. And I, I had lost it already. So I'm up there against 90-mile-an-hour pitchers, and I hadn't done it in a month. And it was just humiliating. <laughs> so it was like a great experience, and it the worst experience. Yeah, of course, you, you know, as a comedian, you always remember the worst. Yeah, of course. You only remember when yeah, you, you only, eat it. You only remember the one guy that didn't laugh the whole show. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah I know. You crushed, though. Standing ovation. <laughs> standing ovation, you crushed. Or nine standing reason, ovations like you had in San Francisco. Bro. Nine at the Warfield Theater. Wow, thank you. Know you know what my mom tells me a story about? Yes, when you know you're huge. What? Do you know who's a huge? Joe Coy. <laughs> Every one of my, I think half that audience was my relatives. She doesn't care about Saturday Night Live you know or anything that you've done? No, it's no, just she, about Joe Coy? Well, she knows Joe Coy's huge. Jokoi is so much huger, right? Let me tell you, Jokoi, can I just tell you? The, all the babinka, all the, all the, uh, all the, uh, all the uh, pancit is going uh, to Jokoi. All of it. Joseph gets all of that. <laughs> <laughs> all those rewards is his. You have the perfect accent. Man. Rob, you know how you always want pancit, but I don't give it to you, Robert? <laughs> do you know that? People, you got to tell Rob, what pancit is, Rob, do you know how though? you always want pancit? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. You know why I don't give it to why you? Why don't you give it to me? Because Jokoi deserves all the pancit. <laughs> 
I know. The lumpia is what my wife loves the most. Oh, though. my God. I was bragging about that on stage the now, other day. L- let me just say, lumpia is like, it's like the... Everything you can ever want in a burrito, but really small, and it's like a bite. It's like a basically a Filipino person. Everything good, but in a really small package. Yeah, it's small, brown, and delicious. It does. It does. It does. It does what needs to get done. Yeah, it's delicious. It's the best egg roll. If you have an yeah. egg roll competition, Lumpia wins every time. Every time. Every time. But we don't have. You know the main thing. The the, the main thing about. The, I was going to say the Wayne thing, but the main thing about the Filipinos is we don't do the spicy stuff. It's always sweet and savory. Yeah. You know? So it's not like uh, you know, like the Mexican thing, which I didn't grow up with. Uh-huh. But apparently, um, the, especially certain parts, like my wife's from the Yucatan, Merida, and that is super spicy, like uh, habanero, which is like real habanero, which is really a spicy. It burns just as much on the way out as on the way in, you know. Yes, yes. And it is. Yeah, uh, that's spicy for sure. That's spicy. It doesn't even calm down while it goes through you. It just says fire, it, it, calm. It, Fire. Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's beautiful, though. I mean, I like it. Habanero goes in, and then when it comes out, it goes, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> you <I'm> just habanero! <laughs> You're just renting me. Yeah. <laughs> You're renting me. Yeah. <laughs> Try yeah. and wipe this off, mijo. There's two sides to this one, baby. Yeah. <laughs> There's a beginning and an end. Yeah. And it's more painful in the end. Oh, yeah. It has guns all of a sudden. How long have you been married, by the way? Nine years. That's I mean, great. see, see, see uh, well, we got married. My wife says we got married two times, you know, one for the, for the family, the other for the green card. What? <laughs> she's <laughs> stupid. No. See, did we, I'm serious. It's true because she's Mexican and we got the, the green card marriage. That is funny. You're yeah. not fucking with me right now. No, 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 no. no I'm serious. My, my beautiful wife. And she's in uh, your show, by the way. Uh, yes, she's playing my wife. That's cool. And let's just she segue right back to yeah. Luis, uh, Luis Miguel was on the show as well. Was he not? No, I wish he oh, would. Oh, I thought he was. No, I wish he would be. I thought he was. No, I wanted him to be. I thought I saw something where you, you said that he was. No, 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 no. I just, I was at his show. I was at his show the other night, and he was, um, you know, he was nice enough to uh, invite us to his party. And Ah, oh, man, and, I'm and stupid. You want me to cut that part out? No, 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 it's okay. I thought he was on, like, like a, a special guest on one of your, uh, on, no, on one episode. No, you could be. Done. Hero to the Pinoy... <laughs> Heritage. <laughs> yes. By the way, so where's your family from, the Philippines? Uh, Quezon City is my mom. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now. See, my family's from like Baguio. Oh, man, that's the best part. Yeah, they used to have it. It used to be even cooler. Baguio, by the way, I want people to know. It used to, to snow in Baguio. Yeah, Baguio's in the mountains, man. It's beautiful so out there. It takes there. two hours to get there, you know, uh, or 12 hours, depending. You know, my, it, takes, it took my relatives like literally two days to come down. And, and there's a lot of floods and whatever that can happen, but they cut down a lot of the trees there, so unfortunately it's not as cool as it used to be. Mm-hmm. My uncle, uh, my uncle As, As um, Hamada, yeah. he's Japanese-Filipino, um, was, uh, he was the guy who ran the uh, Baguio um, Golf Club. There's like a golf course. There. Oh, nice, man. <laughs> and uh, remember, that's what I remember from being there. But uh, the thing about it, it's like it used to be so cold that it would snow up there, and yeah. it's beautiful. But here's the thing I loved about the, the heritage of the, the people in the north yeah. is that they were headhunters. They, they put it out there like, we will cut your fucking head off if you come up to our land. Because they had really good farming and everything and the good look, better looking girls with the whole deal. So they like, don't come up here. Yeah. And so they, had, they put this thing out there. And they believed it. And it protected them for a long time. Like, if you come up here, we're going to cut your fucking head yeah. off. They'll do so it. They're headhunters. That was the thing. Wow. Whether it really was or not, I don't know. But like, that I was, believe it. I mean, if you want to keep people out of your territory... 
That's Bro, one, let me of, tell that's you one his... of the things. If you do come up here, you're not going to leave with your head still. Listen to me real quick, you guys. I don't think anybody understands how uh, amazing the Filipino people are. They're oh, the yeah. reason why there's a 45 caliber bullet. All right, that's before, true. 1905. Before, 1905. Colt, Colt 45 revolver. The Colt 45 revolver was invented because of the Filipino people. Because, because the Bolo warrior, the exactly would fight with a machete and yes. the machetes, and they were trying to stop them with the 38 caliber, and it wasn't putting these they, guys down. Yeah, yeah, they would still come at you and, and, and do damage to you. They would come at you with a machete and chop your damn so head off. This is and you're hitting them with 38s. You're so hitting them with 38s. They, they had to increase the size still of that come bullet. At you. They come at you. So what they said. We need a gun. They said they requisitioned a gun from uh, Colt, blah, blah, blah. They said, uh, we want a gun that will stop the forward progress of these Filipinos and send them back the other way. Are you listening and to that, this, Chris? That was, that was oh, a yeah. Colt 45 revolver. That's the Colt 45 revolver. Oh, yeah. People don't understand God. that. There's a lot of history involved uh, there. So when, there was when also, you see I that tried sign to do a movie says, When I was in better shape, I tried to do a movie that, about that specifically because there were these guys. There's one warrior who's an American guy. Who was fighting against these um, this Islamic? Uh, um, well, there was actually a, you know an, an uprising, and around that time, and there was like they would go out in groups of like twelve, and they would all come back because. But he had learned the Filipino knife fighting, yeah, and it's like and literally like whenever you see this kind of fighting, really tight, close stuff before. Remember that if you look at an old English boxer, like the English boxing rules. They were like this, and they would yeah. punch or whatever. The tight inside fighting actually changed because of the Filipinos, because the American boxers mm-hmm. who went in, uh, I'm sorry, the American soldiers who went to the Philippines um, to kind of basically supplanted the Spanish Revolution uh, with, uh, sorry, the Spanish uh, Empire, and when they kicked the Spaniards out, mm-hmm. and they basically they became the new. Um, you know, imperialists. They yeah. just got rid of the Spanish imperialists and the American imperialists basically came in. Mm-hmm. Though, interestingly, though, a lot of the Filipinos, even though, uh, were very grateful to the Americans for that, but they did basically supplant the Spanish um, uh, empire and, and imperialism with American imperialism. Yeah. So what they did, though, but that, that little tight fighting, it, it was originally, you know, with little small knives, knives. Yep. that were coming out that they would hold. So this would be cutting and blah, blah, blah. And so mm-hmm. it was like a brutal thing. Mm-hmm. And the Eskrima stick fighting. So yep. this tight little fighting was what influenced boxing and changed boxing. I'm telling you, man, our warriors were the best, Seriously, bro. that's why Filipinos were like in New Orleans and in Europe and everything because the Spanish galleons, they were there for 400 years. They would take the Filipinos and there's little knife fighters and say, we need these little bastards to come with us and protect the boat. That's how they ended up in New Orleans and every place that they would stop because these were the little warriors and fighters that you they would You didn't know you would them. learn today, huh, Chris? I love it. Okay, you yeah. want me to teach you something else? Yeah, what else? All right, so the barong, you know the barong, right? The oh, see-through yeah. shirt. You know why they were see-through? Because when Spain was in control, right, they stripped all of the men of their, of their fighting skills. So the see-through shirt was so that they couldn't hide their weapons. Yeah, because they would have small little weapons. By the way, a scream of sticks weren't just originally sticks. They had knives at the end of those sticks. Yeah. So they can hit you with a stick and they'd slice you up. And that was the thing about the... Um, these warriors that were so fast, even in their 80s, these guys, these guys, the, you know, the demonstrators, like one guy's 80 right now is uh, Guru Dan Inosanto. Yeah. Now he's Inosanto. 80. I you met- know who he is? He's 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 Jit Kandu's master. He's Bruce Lee's sidekick. He's the he, guy. He's that, the guy who that, in- uh, that wrote Jit Kandu with Bruce Lee. That's right. He's the guy. He's the guy who introduced nunchucks to Bruce Lee. Yes. Wow. He's the first guy ever. And, and the sticks. The first co- the first karate combat ever. In the United States, 1964, 
was uh, Guru, Dan Inosanto, and Bruce yep. Lee. And there's some footage of it that exists. So anyway, um, these, these guys, these little fighters and the little, the little tiny knives and what they can do with it, or just they'll slice you up. It, like he's 80. He, you know, it, like 80-year-old guys, they would get up there really slowly, but with the stick or a knife, they'll just they'll be over so quickly. Over so quick. There's people that still go to him, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. He teaches them all that close combat. He goes all over the he world. Them, yeah, he's amazing, He bro. taught me in Big Stan. You know, I oh, learned he how did? To, I learned a scream from him and from, uh, of Can course. Can you introduce me to him? Yeah, from, of course, the great Nino Pila. He's still in incredible shape at 80. Oh, I know. I go to his uh, Instagram all the time. Okay, he's right down there in Marina del Rey. Yeah. Guerrero Dan Inosanto. The greatest, bro. And he, it's incredible. He still has, like, some of the stuff from Bruce Lee, like the the, uh, the original um, uh, nunchucks from the movie and some of Bruce Lee's bag, you know. Yeah. Not as, you know, ball sack, but I mean, like, the bag, the hitting bag they used to have, <laughs> the kicking bag. <laughs> But anyway, it was did so. You, did you think that I, you I would learn all, all this Filipino history from two half breeds? I know, man. Dropping I learned knowledge a lot. right now. I learned a lot. I see why they. Invented- you want to know why? You want me to drop some more knowledge? Hey, listen, Rob, let me tell you, you want me to drop we, some more? We haven't even started about nursing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Which that. is the other Filipino thing? <laughs> but you, you want to know another thing? Always. That the, uh, you know the tanikling. You know oh, the yeah. dance. I, I, you know I, I, why that dance. that dance was created? Because the Spanish didn't want them to learn their martial arts anymore. And that was actually another way that they could keep their, their coordination. That's why you see the men doing all the hand movements while they're doing the tinicling, mm-hmm. doing their foot coordination. Yeah. They're still teaching themselves how to do martial arts. Yeah. The chase, that. the tinicling is you got these two big bamboo sticks. And, and they, they're, they they're slap hitting it. them on the ground. They're slapping together. And you're kind of playing hopscotch around yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. That's the difference between the pain of the Philippines. That's the thing about like the Philippines. People don't realize it's true. It's like... Um, you know, it was named after. It wasn't even named after anything Filipino. I mean, it's literally Philippines is King Philip. That's how like long suffering the Filipinos. They still keeping that name. If that was any other country in the world, they would have changed it by yeah. now. But wow, like, you just dropped that on me. Yeah, so it's wow. named after King Philip. So that's the long suffering thing about the Filipinos. They just they're just in- incredibly kind, but also and the most incredible thing about the Filipinos is you know their 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 biggest export has been. Always, it's people. Yeah, it's people. And so, I mean, so you go Customer anywhere service. in the world. Yeah, you go anywhere in the world. And sometimes when you get like a nurse who's like a nurse here in the United States or in Europe or whatever, they're not just a nurse, a Filipino nurse. They're also a doctor. So you're not just getting a nurse. You're getting a nurse who's also a doctor. And that's how they travel. And um, and they're just really kind, hard workers. And they also, the really amazing thing about the Filipinos that I really have incredible respect for is that they will assimilate. They will learn other cultures. They'll marry into that culture. They will do. And the, that's why you end up with like half-breeds like uh, <laughs> like us. Yeah. But it's because their openness to this thing and they're, they're inclusive and not exclusive and that they, they want to learn about the other cultures, the incredible with the land languages. You know, also, you, the brilliance of them just learn, knowing that English was a very, very valuable and, and knowing that, that, that speaking English would get them you know, further in life. You know, they, they accepted that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, they almost embraced a, it's, it. it's almost like a first language out there. They it did really embrace is. that. Unfortunately, like, again, with the, again, with the American imperialism, mm-hmm. but they they've tend to focus more on, and the Filipinos tend to focus more on the liberation of the Philippines from the Japanese uh, in World War II because mm-hmm. and MacArthur coming back. So that's why most Filipinos of a certain age, you know, well, now they're, you know, very old, but, like, would have a picture of... Um, of MacArthur, MacArthur in their home. My mom had it, yep. Yeah, so you'd have that, and, yep. and that would be part of the thing. Yeah, but, they, but, his statue still sits there. Yeah, and I remember when I was first there, you would still see graves with that, literally, just the uh, rifle, you know, with the with the uh, bayonet in the ground with the rifle with an American soldier's hat on top yep. of it. I mean, that was back in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. That's you when know? I lived out there. 
Yeah, and it's beautiful. During the Marcos era. Yeah, during the Marcos yeah. era, which was very safe, by the way. Yeah. Everything and uh, low crime, but the only crime that was happening was in the government. Yeah, they, so, it was bad there. At that yeah, time. So we'll it see. was good and bad. Yeah. Hey, but, uh, we got the incredible Rob Schneider with us, you guys. Thank you. And I'm so happy you're here. Can we go to a break real quick? And we'll yeah, be right this back. is great, by the way. Oh, I we love should, it. We should have restarted already. Did we start? No, we haven't started okay, yet. Okay, this is going to be Press good. Press record when we come back from break. You know what's crazy, Kaylin? What's that? Uh, you bought your car a true car, didn't you? I did. I just got a brand new Honda. That tell what? What is describe that Honda? Uh, tw- new 2018 Honda Civic Hatchback Sport. And I and you didn't have to worry about any of the haggling and all that stuff. Not you only just, did I not have to worry about it, but I was so worried beforehand because I'd never. This is my first car that I've ever bought myself. Oh, really? Yeah, first car I ever bought myself. So your first car experience was through True Car? Yeah, because they, they, yeah, they're on all of our shows, and I was like, you know what? Let's just go at it. Let's try it, and it was as easy as and it's. It, we've always talked it, about. It's so funny because when we drove into the uh, lot, Chase is looking for a new car, and the first thing he saw was your new car. Yeah, and he was like, "Where did he go?" And I was like, "That was True Car." I like your car, man. And, yeah. and and I think the only thing that people don't like is having to haggle and go to dealership to dealership to dealership to dealership. And the cool thing about True Car is they eliminate that whole thing. Yeah, they just that whole process right is done. Cut Look the at, fat. Cut the fat. That's dope. You're looking for a new car. You're looking for a used car. You're looking for any type of car. Go to True Car. This place is the best. Enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience. Whether you buy new or used. And see what others paid. So you know you're getting a good deal before buying. Enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car. And Kalen can vouch for me. Am I right? 100%. So Chase, what do you want to do? Do you want to go and walk the streets and sweat all day and looking for a new car and go to dealership to dealership to dealership? Or just have True Car take care of you? What do you want to do? You know what? I, I, I think I'm going to give that True Car a shot. I think everyone should. When you're ready to buy a new used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states, but I'm telling you, go to True Car. Yo, you guys, uh, the big podcast with Shaq. Come on, you guys. You know who Shaq is. He's a legend. He's the best. He's the greatest to ever change the game in that position. And you know what position I'm talking about. He has nothing but the best guests on all the time. He's got Riggle. He's got Chris Weber. He's got Gronkowski. He's got everybody. Anybody that you can think of is always on the big podcast with Shaq. Everybody go to podcastone.com and check out the big podcast with Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal. Superman, baby. And we're back. And we're back. That was a quick break. My goodness. Hey. When did you get into comedy? Well, I was totally... I mean, my dad had comedy albums. That's probably how you got into it, too. Did yeah. your dad have comedy albums? Uh, no, my, it was my next-door neighbor that had uh, all the albums. Who'd you have? Who'd you listen to? Uh, Richard Pryor. He had Richard. Oh, yeah. He had Red Fox. Oh, yeah. He had uh, Cosby. Red Fox's album, You Got to Wash Your Ass, was his name of his album. <laughs> and, he, and, and, and that was he used to sell it, because I saw him like when I was a young comic uh, at, in, uh, at the... What the hell was the place called? The El Rancho was like a, a hotel down, way down on the Strip. Obviously, mob owned and everything, and he, said, and he held up the album. Said, "You got to wash your ass because when you sixty nine and you ain't but inches away." And then, <laughs> and I know he was into like you know he's into Korean girls. You uh-huh. know, who isn't? Let's be honest. And uh, so I was backstage, and I didn't know what, you know what to say. It's Slappy White and him, and I don't know what to say to the great Red Fox. Yeah. And I went. Wait, I, what you know, year I said, was this? I said. I said. And I try to relate to him. This is in the eighties, like okay. the early eighties or mid eighties. You know. And I said, uh, "Hey, Red, I hear you're." Uh, I said, "I'm part." Asian, I'm part Filipino, and he said, "I know. I heard you're into, uh, you know, 
Korean woman. He said, who told you that? <laughs> and then behind him, this little woman came on and click, 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 click on her shoes. And she's a little Korean woman. And, uh, and he just looked at me like, yeah, what of it? <laughs> <laughs> but those are great albums. I mean, yeah. like, those were like, that guy, like, was funny, sounded funny, said funny things. Acted funny, too. Yeah, just like every movement was like, just the way he shuffled yeah. made you laugh. Just yeah. the way he looked. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he, he would kill a scene just by putting on his glasses. <laughs> yeah, it's he funny. Would kill but, it. but you know, the guy who wasn't funny, his son, oh, I shouldn't say it wasn't, it wasn't, it clearly wasn't a comedian. But well, he was a setup man. Yeah, and he, like, you know, said I'm gonna. I need more money for the thing. They said, "Listen, dude, seriously, you are replaceable." <laughs> you yeah, know, if you go on, he wanted more money for Sanford and Son. He said, "Dude, seriously, you are overestimating your um, your value to this yeah. Sanford and it's Sanford and Son. It's not Sanford and Son. You yeah. know, and uh, you know, but that guy loves this. And I, I remember the one thing I remember about like. Red Fox was like, he didn't pay his taxes or something happened. Or yep. These people didn't pay his And they just literally went into his home in Vegas and just yep. took everything. Took everything. I was they living just, in Vegas when that happened. Really? Yeah. So they literally like, and he was out there crying. They took my car. Yeah. They took my rolls. Yeah, they took oh, everything. Oh, they're taking my all. Oh, mm-hmm. They took my color TV. And uh, and I'll never forget Red Fox. Like, I still remember where he had to play to make up all that for, for that money. Where, it was the Hacienda. Play? It was at the maybe, end of the strip. Yeah, uh, it was at the end the, of the strip where the, the old was the Mandalay one I was Bay of. is. Because I was thinking it was the El Rancho, but maybe it was the Hacienda. No, it was Hacienda. Maybe that's where he worked. Okay, yep. that's the end of the strip. Okay, that's the mm-hmm. club where I saw him. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I remember like he had the number one show on TV. And this is a pretty amazing thing because he was on TV. You know the interview you're like on whatever – you know, like before the Oscars or whatever, the interview like was ever big on TV who's not at the Oscars, you know? Yeah. And then he said something amazing, which I, I'll never forget, about like, uh, he said like, you know what? I got the number one show on TV. You know what the president of NBC got me? Bottle of champagne. <laughs> Bottle of champagne? I said, what's my color TV? What's my brand new car? And I thought, I th- you know what? He was right. Yeah. Why don't you get him a damn car? You get the number one show on TV. Yeah. Back then, that was like 30 million people watching your show. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's true. 30, maybe that, 40, yeah. you know? Yeah, everybody 40. was watching it. Yeah. Everybody was. There was only yeah. three channels. And he gets a bottle of champagne. Bottle of champagne? Are you fucking kidding me? Where's my, where my car? Where's my Cadillac? Where's my brand new color TV? Yeah. And I remember like, wow, he's right. You know, so like, and I remember he like quit the show and whatever. And then he came back right before he died. It was the early 90s. And he came back. And then he had another hit show. He was the number one show again, and then, of course, he, was, he passed away that way because, you know, as you know, comedians don't take the best care of ourselves. But, like, um, yeah, he had the number one show again. Like, that's how people just loved him. I know? remember Eddie Murphy paid him cash for Harlem Nights because of that, the whole tax thing. Oh, yeah. I think I he needed he money or something like that. Or, or something. Maybe I'm making that up. Maybe that was something I heard through the grapevine, but I remember yeah. Eddie was trying to help him you, out. You don't get sued for that. It's yeah, a yeah. I was just seeing if he I, – I just remember him helping Red Fox out in that movie. But, man, he stole that movie, oh, too. He, he was just good and everything. So who else did you – that's the thing, kind of thing, like, I wish – you know, comedians got more shots to do other stuff because you know we get so typecast here, and just unless you write it yourself and get the money yourself to make something, yeah, it's just you know you're just never going to get the shot because not- America's just just America doesn't treat you know comedians they think ah it's too easy let's get somebody you know they think it's so simple but it's the t- I think it was even harder the toughest Rob I think it was even harder when you were coming up though. Like you really well, broke you 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 knocked the door down. Like don't welp well, that. Thank like you, you I came out nineteen eighty what eighty seven is when uh, yeah, you eight, hit the SNL cast. Eighty seven is when I first got on Letterman and I got on in the eighty nine ninety season of SNL. Yeah, so like eighty seven is when you started doing your Hollywood push, right? Started making it, yeah, yeah. So like it was even harder then. 
Like it, it was, was but really, at the same really time, hard then. At the same time, though, at least we didn't have as many. Like there was no, you weren't competing against YouTube stars, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's always tough. You just have to make talent will always rise. You just have to find a place for it, and then make sure you just, you know, in in a way. Um, it reminds me because it's all of a cycle, you know, and, and you can always kind of look back and go, what happened last time? I think the delineation to like the star system and the breakdown of the movie business or, or should say the studio system was in the 60s where you had to promote your own. You had to like there was no more studio publicists pushing you and everything. And if you didn't get your shit together and have your own promote your own stuff, develop your own stuff, you were done yeah. in the 60s because they just kind of dropped out. I mean, the old guys from like the Harry Cons and stuff, all those guys and the Jack Warners had all dropped off by the by the mid to late 60s. By 1967, the new it was just like whenever whenever show business has run out of stuff that just you know the, it, something that works two or three percent uh, of the visionaries they'll do something that works and then the other twenty percent are waiting to see make sure that works and the other thirty percent are making sure okay that worked really 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 works and then the other thirty percent by the time they move in it's too late and they, the audience has changed you know their their tastes so what happened was by mid sixties by like the late mid sixties. Uh, late 67, you had like a group of filmmakers that came in. Warren Beatty, who did like Bonnie and Clyde. You never had a movie where the two leads got brutally murdered, you know, brutally shot to death, you know, at the end of the movie. And they said, that's the end of the movie. Thank you. Go. Hope you enjoyed your popcorn. It's just that was never going to get done. Mm-hmm. And then you had, you know, it was George Lucas. And then you had, you know, of course, Scorsese. And then uh, Francis Ford Coppola. That's kind of opened that up. That was that 70s push. It was Yeah, late Spielberg 60s. Spielberg was part of that too, right? Yeah, Spielberg, right. Yeah, Spielberg a little bit later, early 70s. But I'm talking late 60s, and then you had like, uh, you know, also John Landis deserves to be part of there, but the 70s. But the thing about it is, is that when they don't know what's happening anymore, what works anymore, then then it, it opens it up for potential. So at the same time, you, right now you have to do your own podcast if you're a comedian. You have to do your own, get your own social media out there. You have to create to get things going so people go. So the the people in show business go, oh, he's got this many followers. This has the potential to make this. And so if you don't do that, then you get behind. You get lost like it was in, in, in the other in the in the late sixties. So that's why it's it's important to like. Find your own thing. But at the same time, it's, I think it's more difficult in some ways as opposed to like the early 90s when you still had like – you had cable and then you had your network TV. The network TV was big and the cable was small. Now you have like it's, – so it's fractured even smaller than that where like <clears throat> if you had a million people watching your TV show on cable, you were – you know, they would literally by the end of that episode or halfway through, you're done forever. And like now, a million. Th- oh yeah, for Comedy Central or for you know, what should say like um, FX. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, that's enough to maintain it. So in that way, I think it's good, and uh, is that it, it's open it up. But I think talent will always survive, and I think it's it's a little tougher in some ways, in some ways easier. Like you know, there are YouTube stars, which is just, that seems to me such an oxymoron. But yet it exists, you know. But the ones who are talented and will survive, and who knows what the tastes are for young kids. You know, you're hearing Chris Rock talking about, you know, some of the hot comedians or very popular comedians now. He's very – he never never craps – I never hear him crap on anybody, but I hear him say, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. I see what the kids – I got to see what the kids are liking. I see what they see. Mm-hmm. He's not saying, I love it. It's hilarious. It makes me laugh. He says, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's like praise from Chris Rock. I understand it. Yeah, because he's true. You know, he likes to have the pulse on. I saw him perform at, at here at the the place where the Dolby Theater, 
and he was great. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see his new comedy special, but I'm sure it's the same thing. But he performed it in a smaller crowd, more intimate. Like it was like 600, 800 people. Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted. But his show was great and just like, you know, you can just see a master at the top of his game again, mm-hmm. which is like so cool to see. Is you know, is a, That's part of your class too, by the way. Yeah, that was cool. It was like Adam Sandler and Chris Rock were the two guys on the East Coast that I knew. Those are those guys. They're, mm-hmm. they're other guys, and I'm the guy on the West Coast, you know? Yeah. And like we're going to f- get together one day. And yeah. we did on SNL back in the back in 1990. But see what? Okay, I, I was trying to compliment you. Well, thank you. And I you just, jumped in right away. I tried to jump. But what I'm saying that. is, is what you did at that time was so monumental because there wasn't that much of an Asian presence at that time, especially when you got a young kid like myself that wanted to get into comedy, and then all of a sudden I saw you and I found out what you were. And I was like, "That's exactly what I am." And there is a there there is a chance that I can make it in this business because well, initially you. I didn't have that. My role models were, of course, Eddie Murphy, Rich Pryor, Red Fox, George Carlin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Thank you. I appreciate uh, that means a lot to me. You know, the thing about it, it's like even Richard Pryor, and I got to meet him a little bit. You know, he was in 1990. He was already kind of sick and gone, looking for like, where where's Mary? Mary's got my shit. Where's Mary? No, he was looking for some sort of medication. Mm. I need to talk to Mary. And then when he be, kind of came out of it, he kind of talked to him. But I remember him, like, you know, in his stand-up and just talking about, like, you know, show business it wasn't real for him, too. And this guy grew up in a whorehouse. Yeah. Literally, like, John Wayne don't use the bathroom. That's John Wayne. They're not people. He's, you know, you know, he don't use the bathroom. He's John Wayne. Mm. He shoots people, you know. And, like, so... If for for all for people watching, it's it's you know, and you're trying to think about how do you do this thing. I think the walls to show business have been knocked down sufficiently enough to realize that anybody could do it. But when you're a kid and you're watching, and you just see TV. It doesn't seem real. It only got real to me when I was 13, uh-huh. when I was in junior high. Yeah, and I went to go see Steve Martin perform, and like in the Civic Center. And that was like 1977, where he was like, uh, you know, huge from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You know, he just did, like, King Tut or whatever. Yeah. Or was he the right before King Tut? He was, like, the wild and crazy crazy guy. guy. Yeah. And I just want... And just... You you kind of put it together in your head where you go, like, well, he's a person. Mm -hmm. He's in the same room as me. He's in the same room as me, so he's a person. So he figured it out. So mentally, as 13, I was thinking, well, well, I should be able to figure it out. Yeah. He figured it out. He's a guy. He's a real person. He's not just on TV, which is not real. But here, he's a real person. There's 2,500 people here, but I was looking at him going, he's a person. Somehow, he figured it out. So I can probably figure it out. Is, is that when you f- were like, I want to be a comic? Yeah. That's when I said, well, I always wanted to be a comic. I just didn't think it was possible. Yeah. I just didn't know. You know, it's just like going to the moon. Yeah. There's a lot of other things in play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, yeah. That have to work in your favor. Yeah. You got to get a spacesuit. There needs to be some sort of propulsion to break out of the Earth's, you know, gravitational force. Yeah. And then you got to figure out how to get back, you know. Yeah. So it, it, to me, it was just as un- as unreal was going to the moon. Yeah. Because my, my dad was sold how was a real estate agent. My mom was like a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like... Um, and that's not the, the, the right career choice in that particular family Oh, especially, family especially your mother. What, especially. what if you, you need to something to fall back on? Yeah. What if this fall doesn't work? Fall back on. <laughs> I should make a shirt that says that. You know how many times I heard that? Even when I was 13 years into stand-up. What if this doesn't work out, Joe? Yeah, no, listen to me. What if this doesn't was, work out, Joe? I was about 13, 14 years in. I think I got the Tonight Show after 14 years. Mm-hmm. And my mom saw it and she was like, oh, that's great. But Joseph, I mean, what happens if you get 
get hurt and you can't tell jokes anymore. You need something to fall back but on, if Joseph. you wake up one morning, your tongue doesn't work anymore. Yes. You need something to fall back on. That's why you if you have an education, education, you always have something to fall back on. You need an get education, Joseph. Get a degree in anything. That way, you can always have something to fall back on, Joseph. <laughs> You're 100% right. You know, another thing, like what I say in my act is, you know, see what happens? Yeah. Because if it doesn't work out, see what happens? See? See what happens? I told you. You fell down. See what happens? I told you. You're crying. You. See what happens? <laughs> told you. You hurt yourself. See what happens? I said so. You burned that down. See what happens? You're done. See, you hurt. See what happens? I remember like we were playing basketball three miles away from the house. Somebody twisted an ankle. All of a sudden you're, see what happens? <laughs> Dude, that's your mom on a mountain over there. See what happens? It's the same mom. I know it's it is. the same mom. But it's Any coming from Filipino a place of love. with a mom, we all have the same mom. Say what in happens. Fact, in fact, we don't even need any more Filipino moms. We just need one Filipino mom. The they can just, and that, yeah, she'll just an email. all of us. Give us an email. Anything yeah. bad happens. Say what happens. It's the same thing. Chris, your mom says the same thing my mom says. Another said. email. I told you. I say what happens. I told you so. You need something to fall back on. I told but you. you know what the, my, Jesus is <laughs> mad at you. <laughs> Jesus Christ is mad at you. And, and he's punishing me. And he's going to tell God about you. Huh? Yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? It was a fearful place. But like my mother, the, the, her, you know, it's like, I don't know what the proper term is. If it's foundational thinking or if it's a worldview, whatever. But like my mother grew up uh, in, in the Philippines at her most crucial point of her childhood. Yeah. I think like 11, 12, 13, where the Japanese had invaded and killed both of her brothers were, were, were killed. And like one of them was fifteen, the other one was like eighteen, uh-huh. and um, and so you know her worldview, her foundational thinking is that the world is a terrible place. You got to be careful. Yeah, that's just the way she because it was true. Yeah, I mean she literally like trusted her instincts and they trusted her. In other words, she literally like um, her cousin came because they would go and they would literally take bed sheets. This is my mother Pilar. She would take bed sheets and and sew with her mother and her sisters. They would show sew. Um, into the pajamas from the bedsheets. And they would trade them, because they were nice and soft, their bedsheets. So they would trade them to the farmers uh, to get whatever sweet potatoes, kamote, that, um, that, that, that weren't stolen from them by the Japanese. Mm. And so, and so and there's also, as you know, it's a very classist system because the Spaniards, you know, put that in. So it's like, you know, there is a, you know, even the maids have maids over there. There's just a, a real structured thing, you know, uh, you know, in, in that class order. And so the farmers uh, ha- had reversed the situation because now because they had food, they were higher up on the uh, class system. And so they used that as, uh, you know, hey, you know, you were always, you know, thought you were above us, and now you need us. You're coming to us. Yeah. And so my mother, she would go there, and she would have to negotiate when, and trade bed sheets or whatever they had, you know, for the pajamas to get some sweet potatoes. Mm. And she'd carry them home, and she said – and she, she would actually sometimes put one in her shoe just in case the Japanese – they would either shoot, shoot at them or steal all their potatoes. And one time she tells this very harrowing story where she's coming back, and there was a Japanese um, – they, they had, like, you know – Positions up, and they were like a, a, a sentry. What do they call it? They um, uh, a guard, a guard uh, place. They just they put these places, and they become you know check people going into another area, uh, uh, like a checkpoint. Yeah, like a checkpoint, but it's like a, a guard at a whatever. And um, and so this person, and he came in, and he looked at what her basket because they used to carry these baskets on their heads, you know. And he go in there, and he picked the best one. My mom just lost her shit, and she, oh. and she started you know because she learned Japanese. And she looked a little Japanese, truthfully, and uh, she started yelling at the guy in Japanese. 
Oh, and, really? And, and the 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 two maids that were with her, that were the, the that were you know also had potatoes, sweet potatoes, were worried that they were going to get shot because she's yelling at this Japanese. Uh, uh, is it century? What do they call it? Uh, um, look it up for me. Come on, a, a guy at a guard gate, a, a guard thing, whatever. And um, so anyway, the the guy who's in charge of that guy came out. The officer came out and go, what's what's all that? You know commotion going on and so she's told him japanese this guy stole i I walked for two days to get a sweet potato we traded but you know to get these bed sheets with pajamas and it took two days to get and he took the best one he took the biggest and the best camote and it's you know and the the literally the maids that she were with were like shaking like they're gonna get shot yeah and the 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 officer grabbed the potato out of the japanese soldier's hand and put gave it back to her nice so she's like you know she said they were good japanese or bad japanese yeah and uh, but she said that the reason we survived, she was ne- she was never afraid, but she trusted her instincts because one day one of her cousins was going to go want to go climb the mountains to go um, trade for uh, get camote, uh, uh-huh. and she just had a bad feeling about it. Yeah, she said no, I'm not going to go. She said, come on, come on, we'll just go. We'll come back. We'll come back tomorrow. And she said no, and she never saw her cousin again. Oh man! So it's like those are the kind of stories. Like when I was a little boy, that you know, my mother told me that were just like harrowing stories, mm-hmm. but also fascinating and interesting. And like you just you kind of uh, you um, you know. So her worldview was correct. Mm. It's dangerous out there. Yeah. So don't go to San Francisco and be a comedian. Yeah. Joe, it's dangerous out there. But <laughs> what happens? What happens out there, huh? <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> Yeah. You're going to come back to me, and then I'm going to have to take care of you. <laughs> but that is their, I mean, that's their worry. That's why they think also education is also superior for them. Like, because like, it was for them. Because yeah, that's what made it, the difference. Yeah, you show she, that you have a higher education, then that the you will be successful Who are they life. looking at? I mean, unfortunately, that, that is a fact. I mean, like, if you you got to climb out of poverty. Yeah. Climb out climb of out. poverty. Exactly. Like, my mother got, I mean, this is true. She found money that the Japanese... Her and her sister found money that the Japanese buried in a cave. Mm. That's how my mother went to school. Mm. She, they, they washed that money because it's not free. You know, your primary school is not free in the Philippines, right? Mm. So the mother washed the money, and, and, the, and, they, and the school knew uh, that they had dirty money. Mm-hmm. And that's how they, so they look at them a little differently. They also found these pineapples they thought were metal pineapples. They brought them home because they thought they could be valuable in the cave. Those metal pineapples were hand grenades. Mm. If they would have pulled the pin on that, they would have been dead. Mm-hmm. So my uncle's like, um, I got these. Please don't touch them. Walk away from the pineapple. <laughs> you know, the metal pineapple. So, I mean, these are the stories I grew up with. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and my mother has, has a photographic memory. She just she remembers, like, you know, her mother getting smallpox when she was – uh, when she was a baby, and then when she was three, you know, she just thought her mother was her aunt because they quarantined her. And when she was three, she got back, you know, uh, her mother, they, they dressed up, and they went to go see this lady. And uh, the lady was, that was, she found out that was her, her real mama's. Hmm. So, I mean, these are the stories that, like, she remembers from three. She just remembers everything. So it's incredible. She's 80, 80, uh, uh, 89 now. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, so it's what it, what it really shows to me is the the fort- that's badass. Yeah, the fortitude of uh, Filipinos and the 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 long suffering as far as they they just put up with a lot. Yeah. I mean, like until they change the name of the Philippines, mm-hmm. you know that is truth. Yeah, Rob, how is it with uh, season two now on Netflix? Season two, I hope Rob. I hope more people watch it so that we can get hopefully a, a better deal for season three. No, just we just need more people to watch it so that the budget can come up a little bit. So go right to season two, please. Yeah. And it's you know did you, did you, it's the most creative thing I've ever I felt more creative 
I mean, I'm more free, uh, you know, to do what I, I what I wanted to do on, on Netflix. Real Rob, yeah. than anything. So I mean, just my, did you did just, you did you self produce uh, season one? Season one, we self produced, self financed. Badass. And, and, uh, not out of choice. I would have loved somebody to give me some money. But I love that. Oh, though, thank man. you. It was, it's uh, it's a very yeah. good show. The first season's really good, and it's inspired because it's just like whatever we whatever we could do and did do. I mean, we literally shut down Sunset Boulevard to shoot a thing, and it, on Sunday. It's not crazy expensive. <laughs> oh, really? It's not insanely expensive. Like you would think, like shutting down Sunset Boulevard, like be yeah, a big deal. But yeah. I was doing a scene on a billboard there, and I just said, "Well, you know, let's just ask." Yeah. And the police were great. That's so cool. They man. just stopped traffic, let us shoot, and yeah. then they would let the traffic go. And it was just like, "Wow, I didn't even know you could do that." And it wasn't crazy. So, L.A. really, they do want you to film here. You just have to. You know, but see, that's what I love about that. Rob is like, you know, everyone just thinks like, oh, Rob, Rob Schneider's Rob Schneider. He's Hollywood. He can do whatever he wants. He's like, no, man, you still got to go and hustle. You still got to go make it. You still got to produce it. Like, Rob, you believed in this project and you were like, you know what? Here's my credit card. I'm going to finance it myself. I'll make it myself and I'll I'll go to some Indian casino up in, in, in upper Minnesota. And they'll sometimes we would literally I would go there. And I remember one time uh, they were like. Uh, Mr. Schneider, um, yes, I did a show. It was a good show, you know. Yeah. Not an amazing show, but I was just, you know, about, you know, what was I? Uh, like maybe it was like six years into my stand-up. I've gotten really good in the last few years, but like the, that time was like, ah, it was good. Yeah. And uh, I said, would you like to get paid uh, in cash, Mr. Schneider? And I went like, yeah, it'd be a lot easier to, you know, to take it home, just give it to the crew, right? Yeah. Because I was shooting in Florida the, for, for the interiors. I thought it'd be cheaper. Wasn't cheaper, but it was not good crew and everything. Well, so anyway, uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll go get paid cash." And I called my agent. You know, I said, "Like, oh, you're gonna have to sign some stuff. You're not gonna. This is not gonna be tax free." And I said, "They're gonna make you sign some." So I go to the up to the cashier and they go, uh, and she recognized me. It was an Indian, Indian casino, yeah. East Indian, well, you know, American Native American. Sorry. And anyway, so um, she recognized me, and I'm waiting for her. She's you know counting out the money. I'm waiting for her to sign the paper, and I didn't sign any paper. Uh-huh. So anyway, I was like, well, maybe uh, I, I still to this day I don't know if I paid tax on it. And then after I got the cash, it was like a you know a wad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they're like, would you like to your own blackjack table? And I went like, uh, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I'm gonna, I don't think in my mind they need this for the crew to pay for more real Rob season yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I said, uh, no. Would you like your own baccarat table? Do you play baccarat? And I went like, no, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good, buddy. <laughs> and he's like. And said, I'm just going to go to my room. Would you like a blackjack table sent up to your room? <laughs> what? They're trying to get that money back. Yeah. And I said, no, I, no, 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 no. Seriously, I'm good. He said, Norm MacDonald had one sent up to his room. <laughs> and I went, oh, <laughs> I see where this is going. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not uh, Norm uh, MacDonald yeah. there. Uh, thanks very much. So I, I just said, uh, no, and I didn't even stay at the hotel. I just got, I just went to the airport and stayed at like a Motel Six near the airport, staring at that wad of cash, knowing I needed it for my crew. And I flew back nine a.m. and get, got to the set, and it's like here, gave us the accountant, and then boom. So, but it was a good hustle, and it was good because you know, so cool. Though, if you man. want, if you want complete creative freedom, do it yourself. Yeah. If you want less creative freedom. You know, go to one of the streaming services. If you want no creative freedom, go to a network. You know, <laughs> that's why the more money you get, the less creative freedom you're going to have. Yeah, but uh, it's different in America. It's like it's so art is just only thought of in a commercial way for money, and and, and that has its good points because you, if you make a lot of money, you get a lot of money. You know, if, if you're making something that's very popular, but like in other countries, it's considered important art for the people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Argentina. Horrible economy right now. Literally, they they just squelched on their international loan, which I think is a good idea. 
Because the whole idea of debt is just an idea. You can just say, well, I'm not paying it. I'm not going to do it. You know, if you do that to your home, well, then you're going to have to move into an apartment or whatever. But in Argentina, the whole country said, because they got screwed over by, um, by basically these Chicago group of, uh, of bankers who just fucked their entire economy up. And finally, it was a president. I forget her name. But she just said, we're not paying. That's it. We'll just start over and deal with it, whatever. So they tried. She landed in Canada with, like, the Argentinian version of the presidential one or whatever. And they, uh, they tried to steal her. They tried to take her plane. Says, no, no, no we're going to take this plane. <laughs> but in Argentina, a very poor country, they pay for movies because they realize that culture isn't just something to make money. It's also important for the for the country, for people, their citizenry to be enriched with the arts. Mm. And that's like a really important thing. Like, you know, that's why in America they get so, you know, it's totally different. Like in France... You know, if I, if you and I make movies, they wouldn't want to just see us in comedies. Well, let's see them do something else because that's their culture is that way. We yeah. want to see an expansion of this artist so we can see him varied. And in America, it's complete opposite. Let's just do that until it doesn't work anymore. And then, okay, done. Next! Yeah. So it's up to you, the artist, to make it, to do your own thing. That's yeah. why you and I have to write that movie. Let's go. And, like, and just make it, which is going to be good because it's going to be two guys in a... Don't two, tell them the plot. All right, all right. But, but yeah. it's going to take place partly... Uh, in a um, don't. Right. We're not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Saying. yeah, don't be uh, you know Mark Ruffalo giving away the uh, the but, outcome of the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> but before it, the movie it, drops, but we're going to get every Filipino to see that. Yeah. So, but you know, but the you it, know the Philippines are like that too, man. It's it's you know when you go to that country, it's like yeah, you can sing, but guess what? You need to act and dance too. That's beautiful, and that's beautiful, and that's why. I mean, I find myself in that that. Indirectly, I was pushed that way. I My mom to, made me dance when I was a kid, and, and I and, just And if you don't up. sing, you're going to look terrible at karaoke. Yeah. You got to yeah. sing, you baby. Gotta you got to rip one. You got to rip one. You got to have a go-to. <laughs> you know what my mom's go-to is? What? Crazy. Crazy for being <laughs> so lonely. She scores about a 64. She gets mad oh, every time. beautiful. She never gets 100, but she'll sing. Yeah, well, that is usually about volume, the rating system. Yeah. If you're not loud enough, you're not going to, you know. Ah, that's how they judge it? I, I think so, because, like, I you thought know, it was missing the, the beats of the Well, it's the supposed lyrics. to be, but I, I think it's mostly volume, and they just feel, hopefully nobody questions it. Yeah. <laughs> so but, tell, yeah. Tell your mom to grip the mic, Eminem style. Get, yeah. get on that Cup mic. It. Cup Eat the, that it. mic. Eat, Eat that, that mic. mic, mama. Mom, get Eat closer. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy for being so lonely. 68. Yeah. It didn't help me at all. I did a movie in it. My I, score is the same. What's the most popular Filipino song that everybody sings? It's, um, and now, no, 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 no. The Filipino the song. It's Tagalog. It's a Tagalog song. Tagalog. Yeah, it's the most popular Filipino song. Come on, you know it. What no, is it? Chris does. Chris. Chris does it. I, I have, I'm gonna have to Google this. I don't Google know it up. Either. It's the most popular one, but it's like it's like an almost a national anthem, but it's not. It's basically the Filipinos my way, but it's like anyway. So I had it in the background during this movie, Big Stan, where um, David Carradine. Who I told the crew, I said, listen, it's a night scene. You know, it's a guy, you know, you got to shoot. The guys who are the older actors who still drink, shoot them early. By noon, they start drinking. Five o'clock, they're going home because it's drinky time. So this one, I told the crew it's a night shoot with M.M. at Walsh. And David Carradine, I said, look, I, look, I talked to the crew beforehand about nine o'clock at night. Listen, Mr. Carradine is going to be coming in. We're going to need to be shooting night till five o'clock in the morning. So we really need nobody serving Mr. Carradine. Any alcohol. I, even if he asked for it, I don't want anybody, I, no matter what, nobody behind that bar. 
Understand? I said, please. Just because we need to shoot. And then I come back a half hour later. He's behind the bar. He's a half a, half a bottle in, half Ooh. a pint down already. Two-thirds of a pint of vodka done. And we're like, whoa, we're in trouble. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He made it through that night. I don't know how. But uh, we, we got the scenes we need again. But like, ooh. I don't know what God. led me to that story. But um. <laughs> but anyway, that's he was another, great. That's another movie you self-produced. Yes. Mistake. How, do, how can people get I that? I lost a lot of money on that. What is it? You can watch it on YouTube. I mean, I, I seriously don't know. I mean, like, what happened was back then, was, I made that film in the glut of the film um, market. In other words, it was just too many independent films. And then the, the guys who did it, they're, they're well-intentioned. I, mean, I don't think they were necessarily bad guys, but they sold the DVD rights, which made it not attractive because that was the parachute in the old days. Ten years ago, twelve years ago, it was the DVDs going to save us if it doesn't do good at the box office. And then the DVDs disappeared yeah. a couple of years after that, and that was it. So at the end of the day, you know, I was I was promoting the movie in Mexico, and I wasn't doing like the big talk shows. And I go, "What the fuck are we doing? Why aren't I doing like you know the you know the whatever the talk shows at the time?" Yeah, El big... Cucarachas. <laughs> yeah, why? And then like I was doing these smaller shows, but that's where I met my wife. Boom. Yeah. So in a way, you know. That the the worst thing for the movie ended up being the best thing for my life. Yeah, but not only that, it taught you the skills on how to get real Rob going too, right? It did. You got to just get down and get dirty and get, yeah, make man. it work. I mean, like I, I had, I literally was in the hospital. I had like, I had like a food poisoning because the, the the refrigerator trucks were shooting up in Stockton. Great people up there, by the yeah. way. Shooting in Stockton, and I remember like we were shooting, and we had and literally in a real prison, a functioning prison. It was the only women's state penitentiary i mean like the women criminal murders and there's unfortunately for that penitentiary there wasn't enough of them to fill out the place fortunately for us we we're able to shoot there mm. and so and then i remember doing this one scene and i go like okay we got these the guys up at the guards are just going to start shooting and i said let's just see what happens i thought they just run around but anyway the guards were up there so we had the fake bullets and everything she so started doing the shooting and then everybody just hit the ground i said this is not funny i need them to run around why are they just hitting the deck and, they, and one of the guys leaned over to me and said oh those are all real criminals there or former real criminals that's, oh, that's what we hired yeah and so they all hit the deck because that's what you're supposed to do because if you don't you get shot ah. so i said can you guys just run around pretend just pretend you're not getting shot you know so you, you learn stuff that way yeah. you know real world stuff yeah uh, but that would that ended up being a, a fun movie and like i said so at the end of the day you know i, I met my wife because we were promoting it on, on a on one of the smaller shows in mexico it was a, a comedy show that ended up being great. And yeah. I, like, the best thing that ever happened to me was meeting my wife. Oh, that's nice. And you're kids. enjoying both seasons so far. Two season seasons two. of Real Rob. And then um, we got a, um, you know, we're working on season three and hopefully that'll happen. I just, I think I'm going to have to make a movie between then and the next one and trying to figure out, you know, what we're going to do next. And it's it, the fun about that show is we can take some time between seasons if we yeah. want. I know the audience wants season three out there, but I hope that people can go right to season two and watch it. It's hilarious. I'm really happy with it. I'm grateful to my friends. You're going to be in season three too, buddy. Let's go. So it's uh, you know Adam Sandler, Eugenio Derbez, who has a really big hit right now called Overboard with Anna Faris. Yes. Anna Faris is a terrific comedian. It was, was with me in the, um, the Hot Chick back in the day. Back in the day, that was a movie right there. That was a good one. And then um, favorite movie that you made, Rob? Go. Probably the hot chick has the best jokes. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the you know for a machismo you know guy trying to be a machismo. I I really like Big Stan because it's a prison comedy with a lot of fighting, and I got to work with Guru Dan and Asanto and David Carradine, my heroes. Yeah, and I mean the real kung fu. You know, mm -hmm. I said I'm not going to make the movie unless he does it, and we got him to do it. The greatest meeting I ever had in my life in show business. I sit down, and I heard he liked the script, and I was so psyched to go meet him. So I meet him with his manager. And, uh, 
his manager, great guy. You know, uh, um, Ch- uh, Chuck Bender, great guy. I really love Chuck. Yeah. And um, super nice guy. Set up the meeting. Said, look, David likes the script. Wants to meet with you and talk it over with you. So I go to the meeting. It's right there in Studio City. And it's just great to just be at, the, you know, with Kill Bill and David Carradine, Kung Fu right there. Yeah. And he said, uh, and so, you know, you don't want to just jump in and start talking about the script, tell you what a fan I am and blah, blah, blah. Talked about Kung Fu. And he was telling me that, you know, they were only allowed two minutes in the Kung Fu TV series of fighting in the hour. Yeah. Two minutes tight. And he said most of Kung Fu, shooting most of Kung Fu, he was on acid. What? He was taking LSD. Isn't that crazy, man? Yeah, he was so that. So that calm kind of thing, whatever. It was acid. <laughs> what? And, how and, did these guys pull that off? I don't know, but that's a great show. How do you show. pull off? It's still good. How do you pull that's off a whole night of shooting fighting. after downing a bottle of vodka? How? He how just, do these people function? The acid, and he was just amazing. You know, he just really was. He just came off. You can't imagine anybody else in that role. Yeah, you can't be that fluid if you're not an acid. Oh yeah, that's yeah. hysterical. And fluid and, and smooth. Then, I mean, just but two minutes of fighting—it's all they're allowed. So, so he's just, not even acting; he's like literally trying to push like purple doves away. <laughs> he had the greatest, dragon, the greatest stories ever. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's got acid stories. Yeah. What's up, Joe? I want to talk to the Koi Pine listeners about Grubhub. You know, it's a really weird time. Everybody can tell we're doing these ads on our phones right now because. Everybody's, you know, doing social distancing. We're all separately in our homes. And Grubhub is one of the ways that we can help save the restaurants we love. Oh, exactly. By the way, my son is in love with spicy chicken sandwiches. How is he going to get that? Can't leave the house, but he can get it from Grubhub. Yep. And this is how we keep those places open. Every order on Grubhub helps support your local community as restaurants rely on delivery and pickup orders during this time. Contactless delivery is available. You know that? You can actually say in the Grubhub app, this has to be contactless delivery, meaning you're not gonna actually touch you know, somebody or encounter them. You gotta stay six feet apart from the person and they'll just drop it off outside your door, I believe. Yeah, that's perfect. That's the best way to feed your family right now. You wanna go out to eat? Have Grubhub get it for you. That's right. Special promotions will be available daily. Look for neighborhood specials so you can save money and save a restaurant. Your yes. pickup or delivery order can help save a local restaurant during this difficult time. Yeah, you guys, let's all work together. Grubhub is helping that. You can also donate your change on every order to support the Grubhub Community Relief Fund to support restaurants and drivers impacted by COVID-19. That's a beautiful thing, man. And there's this one special thing for just for the Koi Pine listeners. If you download the Grubhub app and enter code, promo code Koi Pond, you'll get $10 off $15 or more for new diners. That's promo code Koi Pond. Promo code one more time, Koi Pond. For $10 off any order of $15 or more for new diners. So download the Grubhub app today and use promo code Koi Pond to enjoy the restaurants that you love delivered. Go get something to eat now. What, what were some of the uh, so, stories? But, but anyway, so uh, I'm trying to get into – you know, not trying to be an asshole, not trying yeah. to like go right – What did you think of my movie? Yeah. Did you like my movie? Did you read the script? Did you like the part where you can play? Because I want you to play my part. So I'm trying to hold back the nerdy, assholey kind of selfish thing. And finally, after a couple of drinks and we eat a little food, I go, after the meal. I waited like an hour. And I go, yeah. so what did you think of the script? And he looked at me and said, I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where do I sign? I look over at his manager, and it's just his eyes go wide. Oh, that's great. And so he goes, gulps, and I go, and I look at him like, what the fuck? I didn't say it, but he, he, he looked at me, and then David generously, so tell me about it. So I told him the whole fucking movie. Oh, my the God. The whole movie. And he said, I love it. I'm in. And then <laughs> I got his manager looked at his, I love it. Let's make it. And he turned out that he, you know, he'd seen some of my movies, and he was a fan. And he said, "Like, look, you're a." He said, "Here's what you are a, like a cult comedy figure. That's what you are." And I said, "I'll do that because you know you got the thing, and it's you know sounds funny. I'll make it." And so that was the end of the negotiation. That's it. And so I, I gave him as much money as I could, as, as anybody else got. You know? Yeah. But he got like the the max you can get, and he he was great. I mean, certain things he wouldn't practice. He broke my finger doing the screaming because he just wouldn't do the rhythm. The the way to do safe. Safe martial arts in movies is everybody knows what's happening. So you know which way the stunt guy's going to fly. He knows which way you're going to throw him. He's going to go with it. When you get hit, you know you know which way. He knows how you're going to get hit so he can throw his head or whatever so nobody gets hurt. I tore both my rotator cuffs. This one 25%. <laughs> this one 15%. I couldn't lift my, my left arm for six months. But here's what happened. You had to shoot. It was the last day, and I know I'd started the tear, and I know I'm just going to go for it. And I, sure enough, my arms have never been the same. But anyway, so... So David was, you know, David was legendary. I mean, the greatest phone call I ever got in my life was from David Carradine before I started filming. I'm, I'm with my cinematographer, and I go, like, nobody bug me. I told my assistant, I don't know anybody bugging me, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, my phone's ringing. And I go, I'm trying to go over the, the shooting for the prison because we want to get, like, a certain amount of days in there. I want to make sure he got every, every, all my all shots. This is the night before we start filming. And David Carradine calls, so I pick it up. I go, oh, hey, yeah, uh, hi, David. Hey, that's my star. Hi, David, what's, what's going on? I thought he had a problem or something. He said, hey, dude, let me just tell you. Takes three miracles to make for any movie. I said, "Yeah." He said, first miracle is uh, is if it uh, if it gets made." Yeah, I said, "Okay." The second miracle is if it's any good, and the uh, third miracle is uh, if anybody ever fucking sees it. <laughs> so here's to the first of three miracles. And we're like, "Well, how fucking cool for phone calls then?" Yeah, that's like the greatest phone call. I said, "Yeah, thank you." Yeah. He didn't want anything. Didn't want to change the script or anything. He should say it's a miracle to fucking make a movie. It yeah. is a miracle to make a movie. Yeah, it's the toughest thing out of all all of show business, you know. Yeah. So it's just uh, you know so much has to go in, so much has to go right. You know, you can make a really good movie like we did, and we got fucked on the distribution. But at the end of the day, you know, like uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino called me. He said it'll have a life. Just, yeah. It's okay. It'll have a life. It's going to find an audience someday. Yeah, like, and you got to just let go of that stuff, let go of the of the result of what it could get you, which is hard in show business because you got into it to get to get something. Yeah, but you have to kind of let go of that, and that's that's what you know the great lesson in show business is in life is to let go of stuff and eventually to let go of the idea of your own life. <laughs> like, <laughs> let go, you're dying now. Mm. You know, not today, but yeah. it's going to happen. I don't think you should look at it as. Uh a mistake. You said it was no, a mistake. It wasn't, it wasn't man. a mistake. It wasn't no, the distribution ended up getting fucked because you, you want it to be a gigantic hit, like everything. Yeah. But it was what it was, and like I, I, as a, you know, a younger actor, like you know, you're directing this thing, you're putting your own money, a lot, you know, some your own chunk of this thing in. I yeah. paid for the, the reshoots in cash, and like you know, to do for two more days of shooting on stage, and like whoa, you know, and uh, so it's a spanking and it happens, but you know, at the end of the day, it'll have a life. Yeah. That's, that's what you want. You want your, your stuff to have a life for people to see it. And people who do see it and discover movies like Big Stan are, are the ones that's really cool. They go, oh, we saw that. Well, we, I never even heard of it. We just saw it on blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, that's cool. I'm just glad people see it and they liked it. Yeah. And it's just, it was a very difficult movie to shoot. 
And literally, like, I, I was like, they couldn't keep the refrigerators cold enough because it was 120 degrees up there. 114 degrees, 121 in my pants because I measured it. It was 121 degrees literally on my crotch. 114 degrees out there in Stockton. It was the hottest day. Oh my and, like, God. the refrigerators who were keeping all the food, God bless our caterers, was like Alex catering, whatever, nice people. But they just could not. And I was eating it. I was working out like a, like five-hour workouts. So I was eating 11 uh, eleven egg omelet for breakfast. What? So, and the eggs were bad that morning. What happened with the 12th one? At 11, you should have just cracked number 12. <laughs> yeah. It comes in a dozen. What That's the what fuck were you eating. doing with the egg number so that, 12? Just, just protein, baby. Give me all. And, like, and then like, you just, if you're using that much... Much energy, you got it. So anyway, Rob, can we just stick with eleven eggs? What, what happened with the twelfth egg? That uh, was too much. Yeah, because I don't, don't wanna, like even numbers. I don't want to be a pig. <laughs> I don't want to be a pig. I want to leave something for the other people. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't take it all. Yeah. So anyway, they were all poisoned, and I ended up going to the hospital. Oh what? It. Yeah, because it was too hot. Oh my so the God. refrigerator didn't work anymore. So the eggs all went bad. You know? uh. And so the next thing I know, I'm like getting an IV, and they said, just shoot without me. And I came back the next day, and that was the last day at the prison. We had to shoot all the martial arts shit, uh-huh. all of it, this, the big the big fight scene, and we did it. But yeah. it was like, and I, that's when I tore my rotator cuff on my left side and then my right side at the end of the day, and I went like, got to keep going. And the, that was like, you got to do it. So, you know, you got to put it all out there and see what the hell happens. And, and truthfully, they, you know, what a great crew, and you have to have everybody. That's my rule about making movies. Mm. It's like, I don't want anybody there who doesn't want to be there. I don't want anybody there who's not excited to be there. Yeah. And I don't want anybody there who's too excited to be there. <laughs> you don't want that shit. Take, calm the fuck down. <laughs> you don't want that's annoying, right? You don't hey, want this over- is great, huh? Yeah, hey, this is cool. Now what? This is awesome. It's like, get away from me. Hey, have you had an 11 egg omelet yet? <laughs> it's amazing. Karen, calm down. No, it's good. You got to try it. I know, especially if it's poison. But they they were super nice. I gave them a gigantic credit, Alex Catering, because they didn't. The problem was, you know, I got poisoned. And the thing is, when you go to the hospital and you're, you know, you're a movie star, the next thing you know, it's in the newspapers all over the world. And so, is he dead? You know, that's kind of thing. You know, it's it's a slow. Don't go to the hospital and get food poisoning if you're an actor on a slow news day. Mm-mm. So anyway, the next thing I know, I'm getting calls from my friends in Italy and like Rome and. And like, Robbie, you're die. You're right. And I said, wow, why did you hear that? It's in the news. So somebody, like, was in the news. And then, um, you know. But that was, like, the best publicity we got for the movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you almost die. Yeah. <laughs> food poisoning. Robbie, food poisoning Robbie. promoted the movie. So then I felt bad because all over the world they heard that Alex Catering poisoned me. Aww. So I felt bad for them. So I gave him a huge credit on the show. Yeah, man. It wasn't Alex's fault. This asshole wanted an 11 egg omelet in 112 <laughs> degree heat. Go fuck yourself, Rob. I know. I know but the, you know, the weird thing is, like, because it was so hot, like, people were passing out on the set. Because yeah. they just, like, if you're not drinking enough water, think about um, the thing about the dehydration is as up. So you get dehydrated, like, in the morning by the afternoon. If you didn't drink enough water in the morning, you're done. If you do it, like, two days in a row, it adds up. Like, 40 people died that summer in that area in, like, mid-California in 2007, whenever we shot them, or 2006. For dehydration. Because it adds up. People, yeah. if they don't have the air conditioning, you get drier and drier. And the next thing, oh, you just drop dead. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know... Um, so we literally, our camera guy would drop, or some of the extras would drop, and one of the actors would drop. And so I just drink enough water, boys. You got to drink water. Take some of these electrolytes right now. Yeah. Because at and two o'clock, it's over. Yeah. So I had like literally one of the guys. This guy was a rapper, Little Robbie or whatever. 
I grabbed him. They're and always I, little. Yeah, yeah. So and he was. Little, little rappers. Guy. They didn't even put a stop to that. <laughs> There's too many littles. I grabbed the guy and just uh-huh. dragged him into the female showers and turned on the water just to cool him down, whatever, just to uh-huh. get him through it. And he said, then he had to go home. He didn't make it. And like one of the camera guys said, I got he, he was about to pass out. The only way to cool him off is through your feet and your hair. That's why I like it. Flip flops. You know, that's a perfect thing. Keep your cool feet. If your feet are cool, your head's cool, you're cool. So just like I pour ice water, just I'm just ice water, put their feet in a bucket, you know, and then just cool their head down and they'll just keep them from passing out. Because I, like I need my camera guy. So yeah. the other guys can pass out, but it was very, you know, it's like I was, everybody thought I was very kind. No, I was very selfish. Yeah. I need my guys to yeah, not yeah, pass yeah. out here. And so, but all was, the cameramen have their feet in buckets of water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of shoot is this? But the camera guy said, I can't take it. He had one kid and he said, listen, man, this is too hot for me. I'm going to have to go home. So I lost my, like my, my a camera operator. Ah, but, uh, you know, Hey, this is your health, man. You got one kidney left to get, get out of here. You know? <laughs> so it was like, it was a tough shoot, but you know, I, you know, if you're into it and it's your movie, you, you love it and you got to make the most of it. Passion project, baby. Yeah. Have fun. It was a prison comedy. Yeah. I mean, Pretty damn good one. They remade it. Let's basically. keep making movies, Rob. I know. I know. I'm, I'm going to, it's just, I, I'm not, I don't have that one in me yeah. anymore, but like, um, uh, we're going to make more. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm ready to do it again. I stopped for a while. I got yeah. burned out. I got burned out on losing my own money. <laughs> yeah. But, Real uh, Rob is a success. Yeah, that's been very nice. And, that's, and you're doing all the hats again. You're wearing but, the but, producer's hat, director. You're, you're starring it. Your wife's in it. I would love to get somebody else to help me with it. But like, uh, but Netflix has been nice enough. They paid for the second season. and They, they actually paid, paid us back for the first season, too. Nice. Could not be happier. The, the guys at Netflix... Rodrigo Maison, I love you. And Larry Tans, you're the best in the world. And I love Netflix, by the way. They're the best. They're and the, best. Uh, the best place to take any project. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that they'll, uh, you know, that, that um, we get good numbers for season two and that they'll uh, want to continue. And we'll see what happens. And you and I will make a movie. Let's uh, go. We've got to do it. It's Let's just, go. You'll love it. It'll be fun. It'll be tough. The yeah. hours are tough. We should do it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's 30 hour. It's basically a 30 day marathon. Yeah. And then you get in the editing room and you start gaining weight again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Rob, you don't know. See, every time I try and compliment you, you oh, always divert. You. And because I hate it. When Why, you do, say, you do, that? Why? The Why do you do that? Why? Why do you do that? Filipinos. Why do you do that? Because they never want to talk about themselves. You know when you go to your cousin's house? Yeah. They always ask, Joe, tell us about you. Yeah, but tap into your other half, your white side. <laughs> Stop going to your Filipino side. Arg- uh, sell- you're a very instrumental man in my career, oh, well, bro. You're very kind. Okay, so you sitting right. here is just really insp- 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 instrumental. Instrumental. I can't even talk around you. Oh, God bless The you. reason for my success, you. Oh, well, God bless you. I, I can't take credit for any, but you're a monster, and I'm very proud of your success. And every Filipino is. Thank I got to tell you, man, it's just a, it's a thing where they, they take pride in you. And not only because you, you're huge and you're successful, you stuck at it, you worked, and you created it yourself. And it's a great example for other Filipinos that, hey, there is no border for you. There's no boundary that uh, can withhold you if you're talented like you are. You're going to find success, you know, and that's that's uh, that's a testament to your to your talent and to Rob, and, and everyone of us want to claim credit for you. Oh, I love you, man. I, like I, I just want you to know, man. Like SNL, man. I used to do your characters all the time. Oh, thank you. And. Uh, you know who didn't? By the way, who didn't do yeah. the the goddamn uh, Xerox machine guy, the copy Thank guy? You, you know, didn't do... I appreciate that. You know, it's funny, but in the 40th anniversary, they didn't even show it, and like it was like people were going, "What happened to that?" And like the Daily News is like, "That's the fourth most popular character in the history." Of the no show. doubt. Why didn't you show it? And it's like, and then they for the repeat, they showed it. It was just you know, how'd you create that? It's a lack of character. Pers- uh, was uh, it uh, was it in SNL? Like, were you guys no, in the writers' I, room? I you thought ex- of it? Well, if you have older brothers, you know, like. 
I'm very uh, claustrophobic. They, uh-huh. they put me in like a sleeping bag in a closet when I was a little kid and like, you know, ha, 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 ha. I can't breathe, you know. And so uh, I had an office which like they had so many cast members. Remember back in the early 90s? I don't know what it's like now because I, I haven't watched a show in a while. But like the, 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 the crawl was like half the show. And also, you know, cast member blah, blah, blah with Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, you know, and uh, Mike Myers and feature players, David Spade. And then we'd go on. Adam Sandler, Chris Rock. Rob Schneider and you would go on and on. And yeah, on. yeah. And then finally, you know, that was like, amazing what you just then you <laughs> said right there. Though, just, that whole lineup was sick. <laughs> then you go to the news, you know, by 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 that time. But I just, um, um, you know, but what was the, uh, so but how what created so, that so what happened was like they gave you like the offices. You couldn't have your own office because there was too many people to get your own office. So they split an office in half, and then more people came. So they split a half of a half an office was like this little tiny shack, and there was no window. And I my shack had like the uh, the vent, so it was either freezing or boiling in there. And so I'm claustrophobic. So I, I can't stay in there. It was like a little closed four wall or four by four foot thing. And so I said, I'm out of here. And so I would go hang out and breathe in the writer's room. <laughs> but everybody had to walk by you all day long. And I just noticed you couldn't be as excited by the 11th time you see somebody. Yeah, yeah. As the first time you go, hey, Kevin. How's it on? Hey, Kevin. What's up, Kevin? And then, like, you come back, you know, I come back in the bathroom. Kevin! <laughs> Kevin! All right. There's Kevin. And then he comes again and he goes, like, what? Nothing. I have nothing really to say to you. <laughs> Kevin! You know. And I thought, well, that's kind of funny. And it was, it was not... That, that's why, like, uh, something that has a chance to work is just very simple and just you kind of get it right away. Yeah. This guy has nothing to really say to people, just their name and just, like, he's happy to see anybody because nobody really wants to spend any time with this guy. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's, that's, everybody knows somebody who's, like, you know, you kind of, like, don't know what to say to the guy. He's just, he's just like, you're, he's more excited to see you than you are to him. Yeah. It just, it, it hit his chord. And you never know what's going to hit. But I will say this. If you do something that makes you laugh, that's the only chance you have. Yeah. You know, some of the, like your routines that made you laugh. Yeah. That's the only stuff that murders. Yeah. Because it's, it's not like, it's instinctively funny, not like manipulatively. You're not thinking, like, okay, what's going to make people laugh? Well, maybe that Then you're done. Yeah. That's like floating. You're like in space. Yeah. So you just kind of hope you float to an area that works. It's like, no. But if he's really like, you know, Adam Sandler's genius at all these years for 30 years, is he's still to this day, oh, oh, he jumps out of his chair when he has a funny idea. <laughs> oh, we could do that, you know. <laughs> I remember one time we're like, we're in Hawaii and like uh, we're both, you know, just having a couple of drinks, some beers, whatever. And we kind of got a little paranoid because it was just him and me. We snuck away. He was really famous at that time. He had a big hit movie. And we like... uh you know, kind of like we need to talk to somebody else. You know, <laughs> so so we're just walking around. He had this, some estate that uh, somebody loaned him or whatever, and there was a guy working there. And so let's go. He's just like, let's go talk to that guy. <laughs> so we walk over to, and he, he says, "Hey, what's going on, man?" You know, it's like one o'clock in the morning. This guy working there, and he go and he had these short shorts and flip flops and like a tank top, and it's like you know, that's like your that's your year long outfit. Yeah. In Hawaii. Yeah. So uh, he turned around. And he had this milky eye. And like this long hair, and hey, brother, what's up? And Adam looked at me and said, you're going to play him in a movie. And I knew he was going to do it. And that was the guy who ended up playing 51st Dates. Oh, really? Uh, Adam said, oh, there's a movie in this. And that was, he, that was the beginning of 51st Dates. It was like, hey, we're going to figure this out. And he found a script in Hawaii and had me play that guy. What? And I knew. How I, cool is that? So yeah. it's just all spawned from an idea. All spawned from like this guy who had like, and he lost, he was a, a fighter who used to drink, didn't drink anymore. His name was Ula. And that's why I played the movie, Ula. And Ula was a guy who lost his, lost his eye, not in like a regular fight, in a machete fight. <laughs> he was the baddest of all the badasses in, 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 uh, in Oahu because he didn't give a shit. 
yeah. and he would fuck you up. And this is a machete fight. That's just another level of tough. Yeah. In Hawaii, you'd have this thing. Yeah, because that, that fight doesn't end well at all, <laughs> ever. Even if both guys survive. Yeah. yeah oh, there's Ula right there. Yeah. That's him, man. And the, only way, the only way to stop a machete fight is one of those Filipino bullets, right? Yeah, you yeah. guys are like werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that he looked just like, well, not just like that, but that's kind of him. And in those days, you know, you could, uh, I hate that whole thing about like, you know, you can only play your race. Well, what is my race? Yeah. I'm like Filipino. I'm like um, why, Scottish. Yeah, I'm, I'm other, I? and I don't even know what to check there after I, that. You should be able to play anything. Robert Downey Jr. was great in, in Tropic Thunder playing an African-American. Was part of, so, so who, who I mean. Who's going to make the rules anyway? Yeah. I think you should be able to play anything you want. I mean, I think Marlon Brando played a pretty good Sicilian in The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> he's not Sicilian. Oh, he's supposed to not do it? Yeah. So I, just, I hate that kind of political correct bullshit. And yeah. like stuff. You know, you should be able to play whatever. I played a woman in a movie. You know, and I was like, well, I suppose a teenage girl. No, we only need a teenage girl to do it. No, I'm going to do it as a 35-year-old. It'll be creepy, but I'm going to do it, you know. <laughs> so I just think it's, it's been fun, and I'm very lucky. All I ever wanted to be was a character actor. This is all just the mm-hmm. – and then you slowly start to whittle it down to go, oh, I like this, but I don't like this as much. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the James Joyce portrait of an artist as a young man. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a comedian, but, like, that's the idea of, like, how an artist develops yeah. and what develops the artist. And, you know, it's partly from the background, how you know, we grew up and everything. And you just grow into something and you just become it. And, it, you know, you want the attention, you want the acclaim and that kind of stuff. But what you really, you beco- then you become an artist. Yeah. You start doing something to the point where it just becomes like uh, y- your thing. Yeah. Which, and, and certs, you know, yeah. uh, how many years did that take you before your thing, you felt your thing? Yeah, you I, it was about 14 years in. Before you just 14, you uh, 14, I finally was like, oh, I can just say this. <laughs> yeah. Instead of instead of thinking like you yeah, said yeah. earlier, instead of thinking what people are going to want to hear, I'm just going to say what I <laughs> yeah. want to say. And that makes you laugh, and it makes me laugh. Yeah, and I, this is my story, and this is my life. But I, I like storytelling. So I remember being like 23 when I feel like I really hit a stride to it. I remember because I was always looking for comedy material. I was like 20, and I was still looking for it. And I was always like this elusive thing, you know. And it was like, it was right in front of my face, like my hand right in front of my face the whole mm-hmm. time. It's like, oh, it's your car. Oh, it's your mom. It's your family. Yeah. It's, it's you, you know? It's, uh, and it, that's when it became more real. It's your brother. And I remember like uh, talking about my mother who's like, you know, my, my mother who would call me constantly like, Robert, this is mom. She always said, this is mom. Like I'd have no idea yeah. who that Filipino lady was calling me. Robert, this is mom. Set your clock back. <laughs> Robert, this is mom. You know, and I said, well, the, yeah. you know, that was on my answer Did you machine. eat? Put something in your <laughs> yeah. stomach. Don't work on a just empty stomach. <laughs> yeah. But there's a beautiful, loving thing. But at the same time, it was also lunacy. So I remember, like, she'd always say, Mom, it's like, who else would be calling me telling me to set my clock back? Rob, this is your eighth grade gym coach, Mr. Bauman. I know we haven't talked in a while, but set your clock back. And don't forget to wear a cup. <laughs> Watch out for those ground balls, you know. And then uh, I just remember, which was like Bing Crosby, basically. And then uh, so I went from my mother to Bing Crosby in that bit. And then I remember my brother called me one time. The greatest joke I ever got in my life, my, my oldest brother, Stan, he called me up and said, Dude! And I'm like, what? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. What, what are you waking me up for? Dude, the waves right now. Pacifica, man. You got to come down. I was living in, in the, you know, in, in the Haight-Ashbury at the time. And I go, dude, you got to come down, man. I was like, what? I just went to sleep like three hours ago. What are you talking about? The waves. I don't care about the waves. Dude, dude. And I'm like, I'm not going. Dude. No, did he just use the word dude in three different ways? <laughs> and that, that night I went out and I went like, you know, the word dude is like a Polynesian word, aloha. It has more than just one meaning. You can use it to say hello to people. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Dude! It could also mean listen or come here. Dude! 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 But its most important meaning is you blew it. 
Dude. <laughs> it, you know, it could also mean, are you in the closet with a knife? Dude. You know. So that was like my monster go-to joke there for about three years. Inspired by your brother. Inspired by my brother. It's like the phone call. But it was like, it was, you know, you just it's one of those things that if, if you pay attention to it, it's just right there. Yeah. Like, you know, when you see some comedian come up with something, you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. He just looked at it a little bit differently than I did. Yeah. I, I ran by it. And he stopped and he lingered and he found the thing. Yeah. You know? I've seen that a couple times. Yeah. I've seen it a couple times and I got to meet one of the guys that I stumbled on a joke with and I was just like, man, you did that so good. Well, I yeah, wish I would have yeah. said it on stage one day, but I didn't. But I'm glad you got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's just finding that it's like cutting a diamond, you know? It yeah. Just, sometimes it could be worthless, sometimes it could be priceless. Yeah. But it's like when you find it and you. You know who that guy is? Who that? Richard Jenny. Yeah, he had that. Though. He had a joke that 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 tell he me, did. Tell me, tell me, what was the joke? Nah, it's stupid. Oh yeah. Well, it is. It, it, he he did it in a special, but I remember I was I was still doing the clubs, and I I was doing this thing where you say hi to people when people <laughs> you know when people always uh, shoot you with a gun. Yeah. Like, hey, right? You know what I mean? I'll see you later. They do the handgun thing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, why is it only the gun? Why do we stop at that weapon? Why not use other weapon? And I and I do an arrow, bow and arrow. <laughs> see you later. Like, you know what I mean? I do a slingshot. I do a grenade. I did all the. Yeah. And then he did it on his special. Like, mind you, he, totally I don't separate. know him. Yeah. yeah, I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I'm up and coming. He's yeah. he's Richard Jenny. He's never seen me. I've never seen him. Yeah. So when I saw that special and he did that, I knew. I was like, I'm on the right path. I'm <laughs> yeah. doing the right yeah. thing, man. Richard Jenny and I had parallel thought. Yeah. He crushed and he, it, and he just showed me that yes, whatever I'm thinking is funny, and I'm gonna do it. When I was that, that's a really good thing to to to, to really notice. And, and I oh, and can I say one more thing? Can yeah. I say one more thing? Fast forward 15, 16 years, uh, going on stage, and Richard Jenny sharing the stage with me, and he comes up to me and he asked me to help write a joke with him, and and and, and we go on. This is just before he, you know he passed, you know. And uh, and I just remember looking at him, going, "Bro, you don't know how much this moment means right now." Like I told him that, yeah. I was like, I told him that whole story, That's nice. and I go, "This is an amazing moment that I'm actually writing with you right now, man. I love you." Blah. blah. I said nice. everything. I I'm got so to glad everything. you got to say that to him. Do you know who else I got to walk up to at the end of a show? Who that? Okay, so uh, you know, one of my bucket lists was was to meet this guy that was on SNL, right? And uh, I'm on stage, and then all of a sudden he comes in and he's sitting down. Right? He's yeah. sitting in the corner. You know, the corner booth over by the light. You remember in the laugh factory, yeah, yeah, the corner yeah. booth where Jamie always sits? Yeah, yeah. And I'm performing, and I'm looking out the corner of my eye, and I'm like, <laughs> motherfucker, he's here. He's here. He's one of the reasons why I do stand up. He inspired me to do this shit. I crush. I get off, It's a Wednesday night, by the way. There's nobody yeah. there. I get off stage, and I walk up to him, and I go, Mr. Schneider, Aww. you're the reason why I do this. God and, bless you. And then I, and I go, and I, and I said to him, I go, you know, when I first came up, you know, there were no Filipino comics. And when I found out that you were Filipino, you don't know how much that pushed me forward to do stand-up. And then you know what you said to me? And I, I still remember to this day, I tell everybody, you go like this. There's only enough room for one Filipino in this town. <laughs> show so, so I guess I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> oh, but you it. said Thank that I was so funny. And, and man, that shit was, you, you don't know how much that meant to me, bro. Oh, I told everybody brilliant. at Nordstrom Rack about that. <laughs> I was still putting shoes up on the racks, by hey, the way. Buddy, well, you're a legend. Hey, let me tell you. We'll, we'll do a movie together. We'll, yeah. take, we'll take it to the next level. Yeah. And I, I do, we just have to get it. I was talking to my wife this morning because trying to squeeze in some time to like, to figure out to write it and just you just got to do it. Yeah, like I've, I've got five. You have to like have five projects to hope for one to come through. But you know, it's just we got to do it sooner, yeah. sooner and later. Let's go. And just make it fun. Make it, make it, make a classic. Yeah, man. 
And uh, a cult can, classic. Yeah. Or yeah, just how, how about a big hit? I'll take that. Let's do it. But it's been fun. You know, the main thing about the show business, and that was very kind of you. I really appreciate it. Very, I really appreciate that a lot. And it means a lot to me. I tell you, the main thing about show business is just what you can control is the only thing you could really focus on. And if you can control your own destiny and try to make it work for yourself like you have, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, when like you sell out nine shows at the Warfield. And like, and everybody here, everybody hears about that. That's like the Warfield in San Francisco was like the coolest place to play. Like, where like you know, if you were a comedian and you played that, you were like a national headliner that was big. Yeah. And so I don't know anyone ever sold out nine except you. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> I know anybody you, sold out too. So that's a legendary. So oh, we'll, dude, we'll keep you. it up and your success, and we're proud of you and. Keep keep going and look, we'll try. To, we'll make a movie. We'll figure out something to Let's do. Let's do it, Rob. I ain't done yet, baby. No, you're not done. We're not <laughs> done. No one's done. Yeah, it's she- a it's it's a it is a weird weird time in the, in the business, and it's like you have to hustle and make your own things. And it's what I'm doing. It. I, I like it. You have to like. Um, Rob, you're crushing it. Yeah, Stop. It feels what are you good. talking about? I feel like I'm just getting started. I don't started. want to hear any more of this negative shit. No, what? not no, negative. This is this is on your goddamn. I feel like no, I'm no, just no, getting no, started. I no, feel like you I, need to I, listen to me right now. All right, you need to write this down. One, All right. Rob, you need to start taking compliments better. Thank you. I'll you try. suck. You suck. <laughs> you thank suck. You. you need to thank say you. thank you. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> I try. And two, quit saying that your past projects were mistakes. They were fucking amazing. Oh, thank you. They I were just... passion projects, and they taught you how to fucking do shit in the future. That's, That's why true. you got two seasons on Netflix, bro. Thank you. Because bro. of what happened with Stan. Yeah. So don't look I at it as a negative. A look at the fucking positive. Look at the relationships you have in Italy because of that. Look at the look at the relationship you have in Argentina because of that. Yeah, that's like, true. Like look at the, the the relationship you have with uh, uh, Mr. Santos because of that. Or your wife. That's true. Look at your wife, wife because of that. No, was, so instead of t- instead best. of acknowledging the bad all the t- uh, on that shit, You're right. talk about all that good shit that <laughs> happened, bro. That's the best. That's the part about being Filipino. <laughs> Like, see what happens? I, I <laughs> see what happens? You are right about I that. I told you, see what happens? That is it our culture. It didn't get released big in America. Yeah, he's right, because though. Is I he told right, you, Chris? You need something to fall back on, and that's what happens. Yeah. No, but that, that's the thing. You, it, well, It's the greatest gift. Well, then let's that break my mother, that mold and not do that anymore. But that was the greatest gift my mother ever gave me was like. <laughs> was what? Was just like, hey, I come home with straight A's. So what? <laughs> <laughs> And then she said this to me because she said, "You're supposed to be smart. You're supposed to get straight. What do you want, the cookie? Yeah, that's a word for word. You're supposed to get straight. What do you want, the cookie? Huh? Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. You don't hear me going, hey, cooked and cleaned all day. What do I get? What do I get? God. You do your job. I do my job to keep this relationship nice and cold. Chase. <laughs> Chase goes on tour with me everywhere yeah. we go. Is that how I explain my mom too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's and, I, and I also say that like every Filipino mom, and there's no shame in that. It's just they come from a, a place where it's like you got to work hard. And if you're not working hard, work harder. Yeah. And, don't, don't, and there's nothing wrong with that. And when you succeed, don't compliment yourself. Move on. Because yeah. you're supposed to succeed. So yeah. what a great gift that is. But at the same time, what a horrible thing to pass yes, on. Yes, it's a horrible gift. Don't g- ever compliment it's a great, yourself. It, it teaches you how to be tough in this business, but it also, like, yo, compliment yourself. Take a minute to go, hey, that was pretty cool. Yes, Rob. You know, just give a hug. You know, God no, damn it. I didn't quit, know. quit telling me, like, you don't want to hear my compliments. I, I Son of a bitch. Rob's talking to You're a legend. It, no. I'm going to hug myself. But no, but it's uh, the thing about it for Deuce me. Deuce Bigelow. Are you kidding me? Thank you, buddy. Who that hasn't was- watched? Watch that fucking thing or owned it. 
Yeah. Hot chick. Are you kidding me? They, you know that's funny. Chase, but like, what's your favorite scene in Animal? Go. When he fucking runs on all fours. Yes. That shit was dope. <laughs> you know it's funny, but like, <laughs> look, he still doesn't take <laughs> the fucking compliment. I really appreciate it. But like, here's the thing. Like, I was. This is an old timers game, poker game. This kind of explains everything. It's like, um, it was Norby Walters. He maybe he still does it. He's got to be like ninety now. So you get to meet these old actors, like you know, um, Richard Dreyfuss was there, and like you know, Alec Baldwin used to. I played with him one time until we found out we had different political beliefs about stuff. And then, now he's a good guy. I know he's had some issues with me recently. But, um, and then, so you play with these old guys, and there's like, um, like the guy from the um, Al Pacino movie, not Serpico, but Dog Day Afternoon. The cop in Dog Day Afternoon, the big heavyset cop. What was his name? Look it up real quick. Dog Day Afternoon cast. So he's there. And you get these great old actors, right? Yeah. And like, and I'm there with, with like Richard Dreyfus, And I'm like, my God, but man. You think like Jaws. You think like, uh, um, you know, um, the the Spielberg one, The Close Encounters. Close Encounters. I mean, these are the biggest movies ever. Yeah. My what child. about Bob? Yeah. Well, what about Bob? You're talking Bob? about Dreyfus, right? Yeah. yeah. And Bob, what about Bob? I thought it was hilarious, you know. <laughs> Charles Durning. Charles Durning. Yes, you're playing cards with him. You know, he's passed away now. But like... And, like, it's just so great to be in the same room with these guys, and hopefully they'll, they'll want to tell a story. And Richard Dreyfus is there, and I, I can't wait to talk to him. I said, man, I said, like, the goodbye girl. I said, that you're the number, best actor in the world in 1978. And this is what he said to me. He said, um, yeah. He said it was an incredible cast, a once-in-a-lifetime cast, great script. Uh, best nine months of my life was just uh, working on that great director, unbelievable you know, everybody got along. It was just a magic time. And then at the the end of it, like in February 8th, 1978, I was crowned the, you know, the Academy Award for Best Actor. said, you know the only thing I remember from that year? Oh, what? Yeah, but in The Observer, there was a guy, uh, one critic, uh, Rich, whatever his name was, uh, he said, yes, but in the Best Actor category... It was a very weak year. <laughs> what? What a jerk. Oh. But, like, that's the shit that, like, is in the back of your head. You know, this is the guy's – his first movie was, like, um, um, you know, the uh, Lucas's um, in 1950s movie, Richard Dreyfuss. American Graffiti? American Graffiti. He's, like, he had one line in that. I think – and maybe before that he had one line in uh, The Graduate. He's, trying, he's just trying to get the room or just – he's hearing there's some commotion – up and, and Dustin Hoffman's in the room, and he comes up, what's going on? You know, He's kind of like got his face in there. That was the first thing he ever did. And then I think he got in uh, American Graffiti. But it just goes to show you, like, you know, it does it does come at some psychic damage. <laughs> yeah. Is there something to just never being satisfied? With. Not necessarily. You know? I don't know if it's never being satisfied. It's just like my mother's thing is just like, don't let it get to your head. Move on to the next thing. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be successful. And then like what? You know, so I, I do think I'm grateful for that. But you're right. I, I got to learn more to just <laughs> breathe and just appreciate it and just keep going. Because, like, it's a thing of, like, a lot of guys I do run into, like, Dana Carvey. And, you know, if you're from San Francisco, yeah. there was, like, that guy was a superstar just in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. There was no superstar in San Francisco except Dana Carvey. Yep. When he would, if you were lucky enough, like I was, to open for him, you had an audience that was lined around the block. And he was only famous there. That's how good he was. Where like, there's like, if he doesn't make it, no one's going to make it. Because this is the guy. It's like, there was Robin Williams and him. That was it. Those are the two superstars that come out of San Francisco. And uh, he said to me uh, a couple of things. You don't have to let people know how hungry you are. <laughs> and he said another thing, which is the best. He said... Get so great that they can't deny you. 
And he said, you still, you still may not get the job most of the time, but they can't go, well, yeah, I'm not gonna, we're going to hire this guy because he's more famous. But that motherfucker, that guy's great. You yep. know? And those are, like, those are like my foundational thinking in show business. That and my mother's, you know, torturing me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but I appreciate it, that you guys have you know, made my day. It's true, but like, you know, it is tough for me to just suck it up and go, hey. You know, but I think I'm still struggling, and I think that's because you have to always think of it that way to keep going. Hey, man, we're all struggling. Yeah, even a, when you're successful, you're struggling. We, yeah. we 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 have high limits. We have high goals, and we want to we want to jump and crush those goals. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I I love it, man. I love I love this game that. that I'm I'm playing right now. Yeah, and, but it's a ha- having more fun with it than less fun with it. And yeah. it started like because I remember like in my early 30s, I was talking to Adam Sandler one time, and I went like. Because I remember, like, the whole time of Saturday Night Live, I was like, man, those was hey, a lot, Rob, a lot can, of pressure. Hey, Rob, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, yeah. For now on, you don't have to say Sandler. We all know who Adam is okay. in your fucking life. Okay. <laughs> if I say Adam, everyone's going to go, Adam who? I remember, but like... we all know Rob's Adam. I remember, like, there was a lot of time of fun we had. Like, we were laughing our balls off on that yeah. show. But, like, I remember, like, after the show, he was still on it, and I left, and I was doing a movie with Stallone in England. And I called him up, and I was just like, remember, because the pressure was still like, was hold on, it, hold on, hold on. Are you talking about Judge Dredd? Are you talking Judge about Judge Dredd? Dredd or, yeah, or, yeah. Okay, okay. Judge okay. Dredd. And okay. like, because I remember Stallone called me up and said, hey, Joe Pesci said no, so you're it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, and he wanted $5 million. I'm not going to fucking pay Joe Pesci $5 million. For what? For what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get you for uh, I get you for like two fifty. <laughs> I get you for two fifty. That's what I make a day. For what I make a day, I pay you for six months. Wait, was, wait, was that after Demolition Man or before it was Demolition, after Man? Demolition Man? That was after Demolition. So you guys were already you guys were already tired. Well, he was like it was just the greatest phone call you ever get in your life because I just quit Saturday Night Live and it was t- I needed something, and so I remember. But I remember calling. Wait, you quit Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Wow, you no, left. It was, it was time to go. Yeah, I just sensed that the, the tide was turning. And it was like they. It was just. It was time to go. Four yeah. or five years is about. It's. It's like a sprint. Yeah. And if you're done with the sprint, you pull a hammy. You got to go. Did yeah. Adam already leave at that point? He had one more year, which I think maybe one or two, which uh-huh. maybe you know. And then the, he got fired from the place, which is like I guess I think he stayed a year too long. But it's hard to leave, man. Yeah. It's, like, it's your Chris. Own... Chris left before you. Chris Farley? No, Chris. Uh, Chris Rock. Rock. Yeah, he did leave. Yeah, because I remember it's... that was big too. He left. Really yeah, early. and it's just like I mean, he knew his strength. And the, the thing about Chris Rock was just incredible. It's like him. He really knows. You admire the people in show business who know what their strengths, their overwhelming, incredible strengths are, and they know what their weaknesses are. And for people who know what they're great at, and then do that to the best, you know, become the best at that. It's like he's one of those guys, you know. But I remember calling Adam and saying, like uh, Sandler. I remember calling Adam, <laughs> and he said, uh, and "I said we got to find a way to enjoy this more. It's too much pressure. Yeah, we got if we got I mean, if we're doing this to be fun, but then it becomes a business and becomes yeah. pressure, and you got to have an opening. You know, I remember like you know running into Tom Hanks the weekend that Judge Dredd was opening up, and I was like, oh man, I'm going up against Hanks, and he looked at me, he's like, no, what are you talking about? You got Stallone, man, you're set, and I went, maybe I am set, and it turned out that we got an R rating, and the, and, and the Apollo it. 13 murdered us. Oh, you were up against Apollo 13? Oh, yeah, that was a bad e. one. And we were rated R, and they were PG-13. E. Yeah, we got killed. They opened up a 30. Hey, can I, I say something now? 30 to 13 million. I think I still remember that painful weekend. Can you listen to my compliment, please? Yes. Can you, can you want to hear something? Yes, sir. I went to that movie because of you. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. I did too, I'm not man. even joking, bro. That was a blast, man. Thank I you. went to that movie because of you. Thank you. I had a blast. Not man. because of Stallone. I will tell you one Stallone story. I've never told anybody. Do it. But Stallone was like, uh, you know, he he was like very, very competitive, you know, and like, um, 
you know, if if uh, and he was the last guy, and it's Michael Caine. God bless his heart. He owned a restaurant called Langdon's in uh, in London. So I you know I used to go there and like um, hang out and try to see him, you know, and like get any advice. He said, you know, the thing about Stallone is he's got to be like the last person to the set. He's got to be the guy. He's got their last because on the biggest star, you want everything ready, you know. Which is a complete disadvantage when you're working because what you want to have is a guy, you know, you want to know where everything is. So I got there first and realized what I could do and everything. And then, like, Stallone shows up getting his fucking truck or whatever, you know, he'd drive him up. And, uh, and so it was true. So I, I would get there first, know where everything is, you know, and then, like, you know, I'm a, a whore and a comic. So if there's an audience and extras, I'm ready to go, yeah. you know? So there was, like, there was some scene where we're, we're supposed to take off in this futuristic jet or plane or whatever, rocket, and, and there's a bunch of extras. There's 90 of them behind me, and I'm sitting here. <laughs> and then, like, so I'm just doing jokes, of course. I, you know, I told the first day to give me that mic, you know, I'm doing jokes. I'm murdering, right? And then, um, of course, we're about to shoot. Stallone shows up. So I do another joke, and they're just, you know, I got their rhythm now and everything. So I do another line, and <sighs> just murders 90 people laughing on this set, you know? And then, so Stallone does one, and I was like, <laughs> polite. So, and I just see him start to turn red, you know, <laughs> like he's competitive, right? Yeah. And I go, oh, I'm not going to do anything anymore. So, but, but I'm a whore, though, you know? So I, gotta, I, so I just do one more. Yeah. I got the little microphone right there, and I go, oh, and that's what then, and the next thing, you know, and then, uh, all right, like, you know, I do some British thing, and they, they're dying back behind me. He does another joke, and I was like, polite. Like, and I just see him just, like, start to turn, like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. And so... uh we're doing the scene, and like after like literally five takes, he says, "All right, you do my dialogue. I'll just react to your dialogue." And I went like, uh, "What?" And so he gives me all his dialogue, so I have to do my dialogue and his dialogue in the same scene and do the scene. Right? What? So yeah. So anyway, I'm fumbling all over because I don't know all his dialogue and how to do it, and I'd already practiced my stuff. So anyway, I've kind of figured. So I'm, I'm doing it. I'm struggling. 22 takes in. Come on, man. You got to get this shit. We got to shoot the scene. We're not just doing this all day. And I go, okay, I get it. I get it. And, it's, and it's, I knew the next day he was going to he was gonna get me. So the next day, I go show up to set. And it's on this rooftop. And we're shooting in England on, this, uh, on, the, um, on the set, on the stage. It's actually, the Scott brothers had just bought this whole fucking lot. There were commercial directors, Ridley Scott and his brother Tony, had bought. That's how successful they were. They had bought an entire, you know, lot, um, this whole, uh, you know, place we were shooting. And um, a studio they bought uh, where, you know, all these sound stages and everything. So we're, we're on top of this thing, and I just, Stallone's going to get me. So I get, I get there to the set first, you know, and he's already there. And the crew's there. And I go, oh, here it comes. And he turns over. Oh, that movie that you did. That piece of shit movie. Surf Nazi ninjas? What the hell is that crap? <laughs> Who's your agent? You got to learn to say no. I mean, what are you going to... You got to say no once to something. And I, and I had the line right there, ready to go. But I knew I had to work with him for another three months. Well, the, the line was like, hey, well, we can't all start off in soft porn. Because <laughs> <laughs> he did a little softy back in yeah, the day yeah, yeah. that everyone I saw. Yeah. <laughs> but I said I got three more. I got three more months with this guy, you know. But the thing is, the weird thing is, if you're working on a movie for like five, six months, like we were, they can't fire you. Yeah, you just instinctively as an actor, you know, like okay, they got so much footage on me, they can't go back. Those sets are already broken down. Those actors flew back to Hollywood and Sweden. They're done. You yeah. know, they can't fire me. So after a while, you got to start looking out for your character a little yeah. bit, 
little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. Because they can't fire you at that point, you know. And uh, <laughs> we're doing this scene where, like, you know, where I, you know, I get killed in the movie. And I knew, I said, I said just that. And uh, Stallone was like, um, I knew that he rewrote the scene. And I just saw it. I said, this isn't going to work. This is going to come off as cheesy. And, like, you know, <laughs> I tell the producer, I said, we're going to have a problem today. What? Because I'm not going to do these lines. And he said, well, so, what are you making? The director said, well, you may not do these lines. No, no, no. We'll figure it out. You know, I can always cut it. And I went, you know, I, I just knew in my head, you don't have final cut. No, no, no. Yeah. This, is, this is a mistake. And so um, we get to the set. And then, of course, Sly comes to the end because he's the, the movie star, right? And then <laughs> he comes to the scene. We start doing the scene. And he goes, all right. And I didn't do the line. Said, what happened to that line? What's the line? <laughs> and I went like, um, well, that's, Sly, I just don't. That's a fucking great Stallone, I said, man. It just doesn't. And I see like the, the rocky veins coming out of his nose. What about the line? <laughs> you see, where's the line? <laughs> and I went like, hey, Sly, I love you. And I said, I said like, hey, but I just think that for my character, that we, and he didn't, I didn't even get to, it doesn't work for my character right in the middle. I said, it just doesn't work. You say the fucking line. And, wow. Uh, and he then wanted I'm, that line? Immediately I cave and I go, well, how badly do you want it? I, I said to him, well, how much do you really like it? I started immediately caving again. And, um, and then he said, you say the damn line. I wrote the line. And, so, and then he walks off the set. And I go, okay. I go to the director. I said, listen, this is just too cheesy of a line. I'm, I'm telling you, it's not going to work. He, I, as I'm dying, he wants me to look up and say, Judge Dredd, you are the law, and then and I crack, and I said the audience is going to laugh at this shit. It's not, it's not going to work. And then he said, "No, no, Danny Cannon, great guy, director. No, you just say it. You do one take with it." And I said, "Do one take with it. That's the take you're going to use. If I don't do it, you can't use it." Yeah. And so I knew. And then the the it's like, and the producers like, who's always worried about money and delays. We'll work it out. There's got to be a, you know, Bo Marks was the producer, great guy. So we're just gonna figure it out. We'll, you'll do this, and he'll, we'll have it. Certainly. I mean, we're we're all smart people. We'll figure it out. And he's just, you know, trying to keep the set from blowing up. And so, and then Stallone, who's you know, was very, you know, generous to a point. He came up and said, "Listen, listen, I rule Rocky, all right." When he wasn't around people, he didn't yell at me. He just because there was nobody else, he had to yell at me in front yeah. of in front of people. Yell at me. Listen, but the, I wrote Rocky, right? You know the line. Uh, where I go, uh, you know, when she tells me uh, that my wife, I forget her name. What's the name? What's the name? Uh, Adrian. 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 Adrian says to Rocky, Rocky, I want you to do me one favor. Win. Now I wrote that line. <laughs> I wrote this line. This is like the rock. This is the win. So you got to do, you got to do that. And I kind of understood what he was saying. So anyway, this is the best part of the whole story is he's cradling me in his, in his arm, you know, like I'm doing my death scene. I just got shot, you know. And then as I swear to God, this is not an exaggeration. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm like 99.9% sure. He was squeezing my head when he was ready for the line. Like, okay, now give it to me. <laughs> give it to me. Give me the line. Like I'm a fucking puppet. <laughs> like, he's literally like squeezing my fucking head. Like, all right, give me the line. Give me the line. Okay, I'm ready for it. Give me the line. And I went like, and I didn't say it. And he literally just. Are you serious? And I didn't say it. The, the first take, I didn't say it. The first take, two takes. And he literally just moves over and drops me on the ground. <laughs> just plop. And they go, he's got his dirty fucking line. And then I look over at the director, and he's giving me the scissors thing. Like, we'll cut it. Now we will cut it. Now we will. And then, uh, so, you got to say the line. You know, it's his movie. 
Yeah. So I said that. I said, Dread, you are the law. <laughs> and then I, you know, die, shit my pants, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so cut to Santa Monica. We're screening the movie for the whatever screening. And then um, we screen it. We show that scene. It gets laughed at and a big laughs and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the next thing I know, I get a call and I knew it was going to happen. And I didn't want to answer the phone. And it was like the guy who owned Canon Films. It's <laughs> calling me Andy Verde, Ver, whatever. And, so he's, and I, I just knew the phone. I said, don't answer it. Don't answer it. My roommate, you know, says he, he answered like an idiot. And they, they got the phone. And it said, like, uh, Rob, we want you to come to Seattle. Just reshoot the ending. Uh-uh. And I went, oh, fuck. So he said, you got to go. And I went, okay. So he was shooting a movie with Antonio Banderas at the time. So I had to fly up there. And he made the crew shoot, like, on their lunch break. We shoot the scene in front of, like, a garage. Like, basically, the metal garage grate. And they were just going to put me in the outfit. And they gave me, like, you know, I think they gave me, like, two takes. I didn't even get a chance to do, really do anything. And that was it. And then, like, um, we went to the screening, uh, the, the the press screening later, like, before the movies come out. And the press screening, and it, it did better, the press screening, you know. And that, that, that scene worked because I didn't get killed. They saved me at the end, you know, just in case for a sequel or whatever. And um, Sly said, came up to me and said, hey, what do you think? That new ending, huh? Better, huh? I said, and I had to do it. I'd had it. Yeah. And I said... Well, yeah, if you would have just fucking listened to me in the beginning, you wouldn't have had to shoot that new ending. You said that to him? Yeah. And I like, and he turned around and walked away. Yeah. Uh, that was my, my wow. I can't take this wow. shit anymore. Yeah, you ballsed up on Stallone? I did, yeah. Well, well, there was also like a barrier between me and him. There was like a... <laughs> yeah, some bulletproof glass. <laughs> <laughs> no, there really was. It was like in, in a screening, what about, there was like, like a little bar. Yeah. I knew that I could run out of the room yeah, if he yeah, tried yeah. to strangle me. But at the same time, it was the greatest movie experience because it was great to work with a movie star. Yeah. And I, I love that experience. And I, Sly, I love you. These are stories that like, I, I, you know, that, um, you know, I, 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 I take with me as great stories. Yeah. To get a chance to work with him was amazing. He had just come off of two hit movies and like, this was tough. It's tough to maintain that superstardom forever. Yeah. You know, but he, he was incredible in like uh, the cliffhanger. And then he was really good in, in the... Demolition Man. Yeah. Th- this movie, I thought he was really good too. You know, and, 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 and can I be honest? Like whenever he said we went and saw the movie because of you, like you were you were hilarious in Demolition Man. Like I remember you Thank just you. on the streak. You're always killing it. Yeah, that's the re- that was the funny part about the movie. Like I didn't give a shit about the movie. I didn't know the comic book back then. But it was the the scene in the trailer where it's you doing the impression of him. Nobody had ever done an impression of him. Oh, yeah, to his face. in a movie with him. And to he his was face. cool. He was, was very funny. cool. Yeah, he it was, was very. Funny. He was very cool to say, this better be funny, kid. And uh, yeah, it, it got a big like, laugh. It looked like a buddy movie between you guys. You know it what was, I mean? In the it trailer. was a blast. You and know, like, yeah. I got to say, like, I just learned so much just being around like this huge international, biggest star in the world, how he handled himself. Like, for instance, we fell off. We had to do a stunt. We jumped, like, literally. It, you know, it's a 40-foot drop onto these boxes or whatever. It's a huge I – mean, it's, maybe it's 20, but it says seems better to go 40. But it was like – it was onto these boxes and pads and everything. And we did the jump. And I said, oh, let's do it. I think I can do it better. And he said, you don't make the star do it twice. <laughs> you do it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and I learned that, you know. You don't make the star do it twice. Dude, that was that's a good so one. sick. And man. then uh, just like – I just remember just being around him. And like literally he was a guy more than any supermodel – He's the biggest star in the world at that time. Yeah. We walked, we literally would leave a place in Piccadilly Square and like the traffic would stop. 
for him. Of course. They see Rocky walking out. They would literally stop. And I like, and then like hundreds of people would come around and like the bodyguards out of position, this huge, lovely guy, Gary. And we, we'd have to like, Rob, help him get to the, the car. Yeah. So I would help him, you know, which is, you know, helpless because I'm useless. Yeah. And um, we get in the car and, the, and he said, man, I said, that was nuts. He said, oh, that was nothing. <laughs> You should have seen in Paris. There's a hundred thousand people. A hundred thousand. I got the Medal of Honor, the, the art, the art, the, the art, the art word, art award, or whatever the thing, the art of medallion, the arts, or whatever. But no, he's an incredible guy. I learned a lot about like, you know, what it just really was to be like a movie star. Yeah. What what a movie star and to be next to the guy, and that's what like everything like that's another thing Michael Caine said. You don't want to be like the guy you saw. It. The movie star. Well, you want to be. It's the guy next to the movie star. Yeah. You still get the restaurant table earlier. You still get to go home with the waitress. But you don't have to deal with all the paparazzi and shit. <laughs> That's funny. No cameras in your face. Nah, you don't need that nah. shit. You want to be the guy next to him. You yeah. still have got a good life. Yeah, you can still catch a cab. Nah, you still got a good life. You don't have to deal with all the other stuff. You don't be the guy. I love you, Rob. I love you too, man. Dude, you're the shit. I'm so happy you came on this. Let's record uh, this next time. No, you're very kind, and I'm very proud of you. And thank you so much. Thank I you. I love you. Thank you for your kindness. You've been nicer to me than anybody. Thank you so much. You're the best, dude. Love you got you. season two. Real Rob is on Netflix now. Uh, produced, directed. Do you write those two? My wife, Pat- uh, Patricia Maya, writes it with Jamie Lisso, who's terrific. That's awesome. Very talented comic. Brilliant. And we're, I'm very happy to get to work together. They write together. They've written the whole season three. Without me, and I'm just going to fix it and make it way better. That's you heard funny. me. Punch it up. Punch <laughs> it up. And then uh, are you are you on tour with uh, Adam still? or, or Adam you... Sandler this Saturday, May 12th at the Cosmopolitan. Uh, we just got back from the tour. His new stand-up special is going to change stand-up specials. Yeah, I saw it. I saw a glimpse of it on where, – where we go? Uh, the Dynasty Typewriter at the yeah. Hayworth. Hey, yep. let me tell you, man. That's going to be nuts. It's yep. the most – I don't know if I should say, but it's, it's – there's it's, just it's, no – it's it's expensive. He spent, and it's nothing like it. it it's going to change what people think, what you can do with a comedy special. That's it's a awesome. movie, and I'm really proud of him. And he's, you know, he's my brother, and I, I love him, and that's good. And then I'm going to be at, at my at Portland. Here's yeah, a- Helium Helium Comedy Club, uh, May 18th and 19th. Yeah, and I, I don't want to interrupt, but I do uh, want you to get put out a special, bro. I'm That's got to be on your bucket you. list, please. I'm, I'm trying to get it. This one I feel like will be the best one. I'm ready. I just don't know how much like yeah. stuff I should talk about. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm interested. I'm starting to work on a Broadway play, mm-hmm. talking about some of the stuff we talked about. That's awesome, man. All these things. Uh, oh, by the way, we got to shout out your daughter too. By the way, El King. El, El King. I, can't, I keep fucking up her name. I'm sorry. El King. Uh, El King, and she crushes it, man. She's uh, got a new album coming out. Yeah, next month. She's so, not supposed to. She said, "Don't stop, Dad. Stop telling people it's next month. It might not be next month, but it's probably gonna be next month." Dad, the leave talent, me out of your business. The talent just keeps pouring out of this guy's blood. I love you so much, Rob. I love you too. You're the best. We're gonna work together very soon. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. very soon. Uh, this is the koi pond. Uh, yo, my one of my heroes got to come in, and I, and I got to finally tell him to fucking appreciate the things that you've done in life. Thank you, brother. I love All right, you. I'll and do keep it. setting those goals. We're never old for that, man. Set those goals, crush them, and then get some more goals to crush. I love you, Rob. Love you, Chase. Love, love you everybody too, here. Koi Pond, we're done. I had no time, so I would make a way. Yeah. Now who'd have thought that she would walk away from me? I'm sleeping on her now, I'm wide away. Damn, I miss the days when she would say she needs me. If I had the time with you again. I would like to be way more than friends Girl, if you give me a second chance
Then I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I could fly you out to Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah.